audiences and critics agree, Aliens is the wild roller coaster ride moviegoers have been waiting for all summer. That's right outside the door. The best action film of the year. Unbelievably exciting. Sheer exhilaration. Fasten your seatbelts for the ultimate summer action film. Aliens will blow you through the back wall of the theater. Sigourney Weaver. Aliens. Now playing everywhere. Welcome back to another episode of Reconsinimation. I am John Diner. And I'm David Munchak. And I'm Brent Hutchin. <laughs> and we're back, guys. We're back for another episode of Woo! the podcast that takes a look back at our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're checking out how they hold up today. And my God, we got a big one today, boys. Great show today. Are we, are we still in the 70s? Are we in the 80s? Are we in the 90s? We, we dial it back to we your favorite year, 1986, and we're not talking about Top Gun, but we're talking about Aliens. Oh, mm. gosh. That's a good one. It's a great one. David, have yes. you seen the movie Aliens? Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, uh, <laughs> I have. It's funny because I, I prepared myself for my stepmother is an alien. Uh, for today's episode. Uh, so that's regrettable. I think I can hang in there. Kim Bassinger was great in that. Dan Aykroyd, of course. Yeah. yeah. A young uh, Allison also, Hannigan. Also a classic. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I mean, Aliens is pretty good, too. So, yeah, I, could, I think I could talk on that. <laughs> and so we, we actually recorded a show on, the, on Alien, Ridley Scott's Alien, last year. Yeah. So, you know, if Aliens is one of the greatest sequels of all time would this be one of the greatest sequel podcasts of all time should we put that out there right at the beginning i think we have to yeah i think we have to it's tell audiences what to get into yeah <laughs> well we've got brent now so uh we have to you know up the game yeah it's only going downhill since that happened guys <laughs> brent i am i'm very concerned though i mean we keep pulling you from the Voorhees institute i i hope that your research is continuing unabated that all of the horror elements the the uh, insane uh crazy murder uh gore fests that you know we have paid a lot of money for you to research uh is the, the work's getting done right like i mean yeah come on the show but you're still well, doing abs- the work right absolutely yeah we're still getting it done we got lots of interns coming in this summer uh they're gonna help us Good. get through it and uh you know i mean until until this uh uh Court settlement gets figured out between uh, between <laughs> Steve Miner and 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 everybody. Like I don't I don't I don't know that there's much more that we can uncover in the Voorhees Institute. So yeah, we're just taking our time looking through the things that we've <clears throat> dug up so far. Yeah, you you're wrapped up right in the smack in the middle of that Friday the Thirteenth lawsuit, right? It is. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, we had to sign some. NDAs and can't really talk about too much about it. So, mm. Yeah, unfortunately, understandable. Unfortunately, guys, not until not until things get figured out. Sorry. Well, we can we can get the reconsent legal team involved, and uh, they can probably unseal those documents. Yes, those legal eagles. <laughs> those legal eagles. Yeah. Oh boy, guys. So 
I don't know about you guys, but this movie is one of my all-time favorites. What about you? Aliens? Aliens. Right. James Cameron's Aliens. Hmm. Yeah, this is a this is this is a a top this is a top 25 movie, maybe? Top top, top 25. What planet top are you? What, what 25? What, what? <laughs> I've really narrowed it down. Really narrowed it down for the podcast. <laughs> Top twenty. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a lot of movies, pal. Not as many as you, of course. But I mean, Aliens. Uh, yeah, I mean, really. Yeah, this is something to talk about. Everybody wants to know how how much I love a universally beloved sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's no Ant Man and the Wasp, David. <laughs> no, what movie is at this point? That's very, true. Yeah. Very few. Very few. <laughs> If only Paul Rudd. Okay, a little bit of reconsider casting here. What if Paul Rudd were Burke instead of Paul Reiser? How would that go? I would hate that because I would hate to think Paul Rudd is a a shitty capitalist, uh, you know, selfish guy. But I don't know, Brent. What do you think? I mean, I don't uh, know. Yeah, I don't know. I think it plays. Yeah, Paul Paul Rudd could play that part. Oh no! Yeah, sure. Why not? I think if. I think you, David, you—if you had your druthers, you'd recast Aliens with all Marvel people. So, like Chris Pratt would be Hicks. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Scarlett Johansson would be um, Newt Vasquez. No, Vasquez. <laughs> Vasquez. Uh, Vasquez. True. Uh, and then uh, Benedict Cumberbatch would absolutely be Hudson. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, let's get on it. That's I great. mean, we're due. We're due for a remake. It's going to happen. Yeah, they, have, they, yeah. they have to remake Alien 2 at some point, right? Well, yeah, it's we'll funny. I guess we'll talk about this. You've heard about this potential. I mean, I think the idea has sort of died down, but this potential Aliens sequel that would, you know, counteract Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. Oh, I did not know that. That's happened? I, okay. There, or there's talk of that? No. It, it was It was kind of almost happening around prometheus slash alien covenant time and then it went away but we'll we'll talk about it later in the episode yeah all okay right. all right look but, forward uh, i can't i can't wait it, aliens is one of the most iconic another genre blending film we're looking at with action sci-fi horror i, I mean it, it, it's kind of i don't know is aliens a perfect movie it might be a perfect sequel yeah, it's, yeah, but it's, I think you know the movie stands on its own, you know, legs as well. I mean, you don't. There are people that have not seen Alien and and love Aliens. Sure, who is that? I mean, it, it it's what person? It stands Steve? alone as an action movie for sure. Like it's great as an action movie. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, sure. This... Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much to talk about, and there's so much to love. about about this movie not just yeah you're right it is one of the most universally beloved movie but but we're gonna look at why exactly what what makes it that way for so many people and what works about this movie and and why is it that this you know gelled so well and came together so strongly compared to other sequels and and how those kind of easily fall apart or never really come together to begin with yet they make it all the way through to you know to the screen um but this one this one is different and uh we'll look at how it holds up but when's um what's the let's start with david when was the first time you saw or heard about aliens 
it, it wasn't a theater thing. I def I'm pr- I'm confident I never saw it in the theater, but soon after uh, HBO rental, I don't know. It's got to be either HBO or rental within you know that availability uh, uh, kind of thing. So, it. How uh, old were you? It would have been seven, probably. Yeah. Whoa, no, nice. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, whenever I, I think this is a very early on thing, so something I'd seen, um, and it was something that I, you know, I had seen Aliens way more more times than I'd seen Alien, um, only just because I think Aliens was something that was gonna was gonna run a lot on cable or television, um, or you know, the Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon movie shit like that. Um, so yeah, this was more in my, uh, you know, uh, that this had my attention more so than the mm-hmm. original. But I had seen the original, um, but I think this one, I think also kind of activates a lot more engagement to like a young kid in the '80s than sure. Al- Alien did. You know, Alien, of course, and we talked about that on our show last season, um, and you could find that on our archives. But uh, in our very at www.reconsidimation.com. Yeah, if you don't know where to go. But uh, <laughs> this one is, and I think we talked a little bit about aliens on that episode. But um, this one is definitely something that um, I think this was the one that resonated and stayed with me, and was the one I I enjoyed for for far longer than its uh, prequel, or, you know, predecessor, um, or any of the sequels thereafter. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But I can't. I can't tell you when I first saw it. I don't know. This is this is another one of those '80s movies that was always there. Yeah. Uh, cool, uh, Brent. What about you? Uh, you know, <clears throat> I definitely saw this. I saw it on home video for sure. It was. I didn't see it at the theater. I. Uh, I forget timeline wise, but this. You know, I I I did some really uh, thorough convincing to my to my mom and dad at one point. Uh, in my life when I was probably around 10 years old when when like Predator and RoboCop were coming out on video and I like convinced mm-hmm. them to be like hey you got to let me watch these movies you watch them first you take a look let me see them you know and I got them all like put on my best lawyer hat and really like laid it on thick and convinced <laughs> them and so and so once once I convinced them that I should be able to watch those movies and they agreed uh, it kind of opened the door for me to watch other movies in that kind of in ca- that kind of world, which Aliens ended up being. So, although this one was released in theaters first, uh, I'm pretty positive I saw this on home video after I had I'd, I'd won the 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 battle with my with my parents to see uh, to see these kinds of movies. So you know it was mm-hmm. it was on home video, and I definitely saw aliens before i saw alien for sure um right. aliens aliens yeah. was my first introduction into into uh this world uh, uh without a doubt well yeah aliens is definitely the more user friendly um i think more of a movie a family would watch together even though it is you know technically a horror <laughs> movie <laughs> I, I think yep. you know <laughs> Okay. Kids just a good old, more, you know, it's so just a good old fun <laughs> Sunday night family film. <laughs> it's uh, it's much more of an action movie than the first one is more of a horror movie. So, right, right, yeah. right. Uh, it makes doubt. sense that it makes sense that you people would see this first. 
I uh, and we I know we talked about it on our Alien episode, but I had this weird blend of Alien and Aliens in my memory as a as a kid. I, I think my parents had rented them either together or like back to back. So I thought for for quite a while I had thought that the Paul Reiser character Burke was also in the first movie and also survived with Ripley. And then it's like the second movie where spoiler alert, you find out he's, you know, a villain and one of the, you know, part of the evil company. And so I was really confused and I thought the Marines were in the first one and it was you all made up, a you jumble. Made up a, you made up a whole prequel that <laughs> never even happened. Maybe it would have been better than the prequels that did get made, but uh, um, quite possible. Yeah, it wasn't uh, until right before I started working at Suncoast, we were members of Columbia House. Remember that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Which still exists. If you go to ColumbiaHouse.com, you can oh get, great, you, you can get Blu-rays and DVDs for cheap. Go for it. Nice. Uh, yeah, well, it was one of those you sign up and you get like. 10 movies for a penny or I know some or a dollar each or something. And, mm-hmm. and uh, alien and aliens were two of the movies that we got in that first batch. And I, then I, you know, it all kind of became clear to me and I fell deeply in love with both of those movies. And then uh, I got into alien three for separate reasons, but, um, and then I was like obsessed with these, especially aliens and, I got the laser discs and my boss at Suncoast, uh, Ed, he had showed me the director's cut, the special editions on, on laser discs. So I saw all those deleted scenes and, you know, we'll talk about the different versions and, and how much of a difference it makes. But, um, but yeah. And then I was, I remember when we got to Santa Fe, I was still kind of in my aliens obsession. And even now I, I can, I can watch this movie. This is one of those movies I can watch at any moment. I can yeah, just throw I, it on at any time. I remember when we first met, you were like walking around the halls in your mech suit and it was like really awkward, but <laughs> I knew, I knew that we would get along cause I also liked the movie, but it was, yeah, it was a strange call. It was a strange, strange move, John. <laughs> what the I hell? was really looking for an alien queen to fight. <laughs> were you making like mechanical sound effects as you just walked through? Like he was just like, yeah. It was all styrofoam, but in my mind, it was a metal load lifter. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, only only the true the true people who are your you know your your soulmates are gonna draw be drawn to you. So yeah, you just went. You're for making it. statements, but uh, so <laughs> all right. Watching this now, like what exactly what works for you guys? What do you think is so you know, or, or pick out one Whoa. thing that jumps into your your mind of. What what stands out to you about why this movie is so awesome? It's total trash. This movie's garbage. Don't like <laughs> it. Nope. Can't say. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding, guys. Listen. Uh, one thing that stands out. Uh, yeah. Know, just this... what's what's the what's the first thing that comes to mind when you when you think about this movie? Well, Sigourney is my my you know my top like she becomes you know Ripley becomes a character that is so different from the first um, Ripley uh, she goes through a natural progression from um, you know naturally kind of 
um, concerned about the <laughs> the the mission going f- going forward, but also you know throughout the the, the fears and uh, traumas that she went through, to then going into motherly and super protective and you know without reservation by the end. So, I mean, Ripley is a is a full character that it that has gone through an, a completely different arc in this one uh you know that i i feel like that's i mean I, and i think that's the core of the i think that's probably the core of the movie most people would agree mm-hmm. but yeah i mean th- and that's why we watch is ripley but yeah I, I mean that's one of many things that stand out for me yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think i think for me uh you know like it's it's got to be kind of the xenomorphs and and you know just the 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 monsters in this are are you know the design and they're timeless and even like going back and rewatching the movie now like they hold up like they're just they're they're so well done you know and and they don't take you out of it it doesn't make the movie seem dated like everything is really um just put together and and you know just the evolution of them between, you know, from the one alien in, in the first movie and then, you know, kind of this horde, this horde attack kind of group in the second movie, you know, the evolution of that, mm-hmm. but like just their design and, and, and how they're used in the, in the movie to kind of like, um, add that tension and terror. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, that to me has, has, uh, has definitely been something that stands out in the rewatch. Yeah, I think timeless is a great word. Um, so much of this movie, maybe, and, that, and that's how you can really tell a movie works. Like, you know, you watched it in 1987, 88, and you love it. You watch it in the 90s, and you love it, and you watch it now, and, and it still works just as well. It, it's, you know, I mean, maybe that's partially because of the setting. It just, there's no time reference at all. And it, it uh, you know, a good story is a good story, and and you know, James Cameron, I don't know. Like this is, I love most of the James Cameron movies. I do think this is my favorite. Uh, Terminator two is pretty, you know, he's got some ingenious things going on in almost every one of his movies. Uh, but this, I don't know. This one works the best for me. Yeah. It's between this Uh, and Piranha two, but yeah, this is really (laughs) close. Well, we kind of started officially at Terminator, but <laughs> oh, okay. Fine. I never, I never really thought about what's my favorite James Cameron movie. That's an interesting, boy. That's an interesting question. I guess it's hard. I mean, a lot of people, yeah. it's you know, they're going to automatically say Terminator Two, but then you start thinking about it, like Aliens is pretty solid. I don't know. Yeah, and even oh, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a and, tough it's a tough call between those I two mean, for sure. And then, and you know, and if you just want to like throw a wild card, like True Lies is pretty fantastic as mm-hmm. as, a, as a film. Like, yeah, wow, it is. I don't know. It does. So is, I mean, so is the Abyss. So is yeah. uh, the first Terminator. Yeah. The Abyss. Holy the shit. Abyss director's cut is is great. Like, uh, I I don't even know the last time I saw the non-director's cut, but like, um, the director's cut is is, I don't know for whatever reason, the extra narrative that gets put in there is really strong. Well, the director's cut, the James Cameron director's cuts are almost always so much, uh, not that they're, they're better than the orig- original, you know, theatrical version, but 
they just add so many more layers and this is one of them it's really uh it's really aliens the abyss and terminator 2 that those extra scenes those deleted scenes really add you know so much character depth and and in some yeah. cases so much more story depth it's yeah it's definitely i highly recommend for anybody who hasn't seen it watch the special editions of all three of those movies absolutely I think there's a difference uh, like between a lot of movies where like, you know, scenes end up on the cutting room floor and they end up on the DVD as an extra like, oh, here's some deleted scenes. But like and I think I mentioned this on an earlier show and I don't remember what, you know, like World at- Weird Al said on for UHF. He was like, there's a reason these scenes were deleted. Right. Like they're, they're not mm-hmm. they don't serve anything. They're not part of it. Whereas like James Cameron's deleted scenes are like. Oh, this actually serves the story in a in a big robust way and 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 adds color and information. But the only reason they're deleted is just to like keep the audience engaged in a already long film. Oh yeah, um, I mean like you I know, mean, just so like the, there's the there's the difference, right? Like in terms of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just like rewatching rewatching this version of Aliens, so watching the special edition for this podcast, you know, just having the extra scenes in there to establish uh you know like ripley's connection or or her loss of her daughter and the fact that she'd been in uh you know stasis for for 57 years and then what that adds to the depth of her relationship with newt throughout the course of the film you know like just is is incredible you know to to her character arc so yeah it's it's pretty impressive the type of stuff that they decided to remove from the theatrical cut, but it's uh, it's great. It's kind of bananas that that scene still didn't remain in the theatrical cut because I, I mean, I get and actually it all works with with Ripley and the mother as a mother figure to Newt and all of that and the, and the developing relationship between the two of them. Like it does stand on its own, but I feel like you could just have that extra oomph. It's like oh, she actually lost a daughter who existed and is aged and died. Like it's like geez like i maybe maybe they didn't well you know it almost it almost that additional footage almost brought to me like their relationship to the forefront of the entire movie like before like i I felt like it was like kind of a side story whereas like this time re-watching it i was so interested to see like her interactions with newt and like all the different little things that she does uh when i say she i mean sigourney weaver does uh, throughout the movie when she interacts with Newt is like, it really like took on just an extra um, sense of importance, you know, like, I mean, it's things like where, when they're running from, from one of the xenomorphs and Newt is trying to show everybody where to go. Like Ripley jumps in front of her and kind of says, follow me, you know, like doing this very protective, like motherly thing, which obviously feeds into the, the climax of the movie, but it's, it's like, I'd never really had put much attention into that relationship uh prior to seeing this this version and it was it was mm. it was really nice to see because it added a whole bunch of depth yeah and it's i mean that's such a a major part of the that's her whole character revolves around that uh you know that's her like the spine of her her story and in the theatrical version like yeah you you get it at the end but it's you don't really feel it the whole way through whereas in the special edition it's set up in the beginning and then you can feel this you know she's got real ptsd she survived this horrible situation from the first movie 
And then now she's got nothing. Like her whole life is gone. She has nothing really, really to live for, um, you know, and she keeps going until this situation pops up. And then, and then once she meets Newt, yeah, obviously like there's a whole other layer to their mother, mother, daughter relationship. And then the whole, you know, nuclear family uh, theme by the end. So, yeah. Well, yeah, um, I just feel, I feel like in the theatrical version, you know, she's, when you go from the when you when you go from part one, or from Alien to Aliens, and you you see the theatrical version, you know you get the sense that Ripley has been hardened by the trauma that she uh, experienced in the first movie. Whereas like in this version, when I watched it, I got more a sense of like she's she's not necessarily hardened, but she is a she is a, a woman on a mission to protect this child. You know what I mean? And it's right. just like that just played a lot more prominent. To me and that might also just be where i am in my life you know because now i have children and so like i'm just looking at it from a different perspective but but it definitely yeah. seemed to stand out much much more than it had in the past yeah and, and there's so many other great deleted scenes too with with uh, you know just amongst the marines there's more dialogue for hudson there's you know hudson and and the other Marines, you know, compa- comparing the the xenomorphs to bees in a beehive, and right. <clears throat> like wondering if there's a queen bee. And there's more. There's you know another action scene with these sentry guns, and just more character development, especially between Hicks and Ripley. Um, there's really great stuff there. So it's if you haven't seen the special edition, definitely go out of your way to see it, and it'll 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 be like a whole new version of the movie. But the, uh, you know, and it was so, it was really challenging to make a sequel, a follow-up to one of the best science fiction horror films ever made. Uh, the bar was obviously set super, super high with Ridley Scott's Alien. And what would you do? What would the story be? <clears throat> Fox always did want to do a sequel. And, uh, you know, the executive producers from the first movie, David Geiler and Walter Hill and Lawrence Gordon, uh, always wanted to follow up Alien right away, but there was some management changes uh, at Fox that that stopped that from happening and delayed it. And it wasn't until, like I think it was 1983, where they finally got uh, got going, and they actually ended up suing Fox uh, over the proceeds from Alien. I guess they uh, didn't feel like they got what they were owed, but all that got resolved relatively quickly. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so finally around 83, they start batting around ideas and, and, uh, David Geiler had pitched the sequel as being a cross between Southern Comfort and Magnificent Seven. So, uh, you know, I think the idea was formulating about something about, you know, Marines and, uh, some kind of invasion of the, of the aliens, but, um. Yeah, around the same time, James Cameron's name was floating around Hollywood as this kind of young Roger Corman protege who was ready to kind of go out on his own. And, and the script for The Terminator was floating around. And um, while they were, it's funny, while they were prepping uh, Terminator, Conan the Destroyer was delayed. So Arnold's shooting schedule for Terminator had to be completely pushed. While that that push was happening, it gave James Cameron the opportunity to write. And he wrote, not only did he finish writing Terminator or doing rewrites on Terminator, 
but he also wrote Rambo 2 and Aliens. So, uh, you know, in in meeting with the those uh, David Geiler and Hill and Gordon, they made a deal that if, you know, you can write Aliens, but if if Terminator's a hit, you can also direct it. If it's not, you your writing is it. That's where you draw the line. So I think we all know what happened with Terminator. Yeah. Big giant hit. Total flop. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, they loved it. Uh, those guys loved Terminator right away and and knew there was something special about Cameron. So, you know, pretty quickly he was on board. And James Cameron is, uh, I think, as we've seen over the course of our lives, I would probably put him in the auteur category. Would you guys put him there? I mean, think about how many how many movies has he made? He's kind of, I, I'm not saying like, his movies are on the same quality level as like a Stanley Kubrick, but he certainly puts, uh, you know, as much time into his projects well, and he, is. Yeah. He's certainly, he's certainly obsessed and, 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 and a perfectionist in, in his, in his movies. And now, you know, now he's kind of obviously had some, uh, a couple repeated uh, box office successes and he's earned his uh, privilege to kind of uh, take his time and, and, and you know make it as perfect as as uh he possibly can you know at least in in Mm -hmm. his eyes yeah and at this point though he you know by 1985 when they started shooting this movie he wasn't yet an established i mean director i mean he only had two two full features out and yeah one of them was piranha (laughs) too yeah but uh he was still working off his it is, you know, not taking anything away from that. <laughs> um, but he was still, you know, he still had the reputation that he was a Roger Corman guy and he was a, you know, a, a designer and a, an effects guy. And he had done some of the visual effects on uh, Escape from New York, which I think we talked about way back in episode one, which you oh. can dig out of the archives. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. So, yeah, so he wasn't, you know, he didn't have the sway that he would have later on. Uh, but this was really the movie that kind of cemented that by the end. But, um, you know, and from a screenplay and a storytelling standpoint, he had a really big challenge of how to make a story that works. But he also had the benefit of the audience knowing a lot. They, like, right. they, were, they were already coming into it knowing who Ripley was, knowing what she'd gone through, knowing what the xenomorphs were for the most part, although he would get into that obviously and dive much deeper about their, you know, physicalities and life cycles and everything. So exactly. Yeah. And he didn't want to clone alien. Like he didn't just want to re redo that movie exactly how Ridley had done it yet. I feel like he did a really good job of taking that tone and just evolving it into something else. You know? Yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, I think also what works is that this this movie is, although comes from the same canon, it is very very different than the first movie. You know, the first movie uses mm-hmm. pacing and it's very suspenseful and and you know as you mentioned before, it's it's more considered like kind of a sci-fi horror. Where this is this is not using those same uh um devices to to push it along it's it's an action movie 
set in space that's a blow them up with a good story based on based on you know uh, uh characters that have been established and people are familiar with you know i mean i think it's a, a great evolution of it but it's absolutely different in style and and everything from the first movie which i think is part of what really helps it also be a standalone and be part of that conversation about oh man when we talk about sequels, what are sequels that are as good, if not better, than their originals? And this one obviously always comes up. Um, and I think the reason it does is because they are kind of completely standalone in in this con in, in this context. So, you know, yeah, yeah, you can almost like if you never saw Alien, you could almost just get on board with Aliens uh, because. Mm -hmm. There's a certain level of trust that is that is imbued into Ripley that even if you didn't see the original movie, um, you kind of trust that she knows what she's talking about throughout. But but knowing what happened in the first movie and knowing that she knows what she's talking about throughout, you root for her. You stand behind her. You don't need to, like, explore the mysteries that. You know the Marines are very dismissive of, or Burke is dismissive of, and all of that. So, like this one, uh, I think it, it's weird. It does like the double. It does a dual like job of like, if you've never seen the first one, you still trust Ripley because she's set up that way. And if you saw the original, then yeah, you absolutely are on board with Ripley, and you think these Marines are out of their like out of their minds, or at least you think like none of this can go well. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the difference between the two movies is like you've got tons of dudes and ladies with guns mm -hmm. and bombs and weapons and know hows know how to like deal with like a threat. You know, that's the difference between Alien and Aliens. But mm -hmm. even still, like, uh, and that, and that you know, it it helps you buy into Ripley's like perspective, like where she's initially like, no, I'll never do it. To well, okay, if you're going to eradicate them, then yeah, I will help you because she has nothing left in her life. She, her goal would be to like destroy them. So it, it works on so many different levels without actually forcing you to like be in one particular perspective or another. Uh, yeah. You know, I think that's, I've, that's unique to it. And I think that, I mean, that just sh goes to show like Cameron's like, uh, talent as a writer and a director and all of that. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole parallel, <clears throat> you know, there's a subtext that's a parallel to the the Vietnam War. Uh, you know, the, the, the colonial Marines are basically meant to represent the American soldiers who come into this war zone with superior technology and a superior attitude and think they're smarter than their enemy, but the, you know, the their enemy is just intense and you know, much more driven and single-minded, and they're, they're lower tech, and they end up outsmarting the, uh, you know, what they th thought they'd be overpowered with. Right. So there's a, you know, an interesting parallel there, and I think the big thing to get. For right off the bat was to get Sigourney Weaver back. And that was actually a problem for Fox. They, uh, you know, by this point in 86 she or 85, she's a big star. She'd done Ghostbusters. She'd done a few other movies. And, you know, she's she's a she's a big name and she was commanding money. And 
the you know this movie only had an 18 million dollar budget if you can believe that <laughs> they uh you know they the studio told Cameron to write a version of the script that did not include Ripley and i can't i can't even really picture what that is yeah let's be thankful that didn't happen <laughs> yeah well and Cameron you know to his credit like he completely backed her up and wouldn't he refused to write it like he, he said there there is no there's no movie without Ripley. Ripley is the story. Right. So you guys need to pay her. And they eventually did. And it all worked out. And everyone was happy. But um, yeah. And then she was actually, she was in the middle of shooting Half Moon Street, which I've never seen, but I've always heard good things about. Uh, she was shooting that and that schedule got pushed. So everything as far as a production goes got got pushed. And, and we'll talk about, you know, how, how down to the wire this movie was. And part of it was because of the delay up front, but part of it was just the complications of the movie itself and things taking longer than anticipated. But, um, you know, I want to talk about the the look of the movie because that's one of the things that stands out to me and stood out to me about the first Alien so strongly. You know, the... the I don't know. There's, there's sci-fi movies that you know, you can tell a set is a set. And in Alien and Aliens, these move this the environments feel so true. They 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 just you know, there's no piece of paneling in the Sulaco or down on the planet that it doesn't look like it's real. Like it, it just it, you're immediately brought into that world because you, you feel the surroundings. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, you're yeah, they they seem organic in a sense, like in terms of you know what would how you would uh, craft a, a spaceship and and a, and a a cockpit, and then how you would craft a you know the organic nature of the 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 alien environment as it took over. Uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 not quite it 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 certainly is a inspiration to H.R. Giger, but uh, in terms of the alien stuff, but uh, it's its own thing too. Where um, you know everything seems to make sense where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like you know, the Giger stuff, I think even even in the first Alien, like influenced the spaceship so much. Where I think I commented on that episode where there's so much going on. There's 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 just so much just crap on the walls you know like things that like yeah there's a lot of gack yeah gack yeah like just gack and 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 just personality to everything um where this one has a more industrial feel a little more like like purposefully um is done in a way that is a contrast to that and but then when you get into like the alien environment the xenomorph like sort of like you know environment there um you're going back to that that Giger style um, and then maintaining sort of the, um, the feel of it. And, and Giger really, most of what he designed was the alien itself, but they did get, um, they actually did bring uh, Sid Mead and Ron Cobb, uh, Ron Cobb who had worked on uh, the original movie to, you know, redesign everything, keeping in line with Ridley Scott's version, but a more, updated you know it's whatever 57 years in the future so more updated version but still having the tones of the original movie and and the same thing with the xenomorph like they 
they actually didn't work with Giger at all on this movie. All the aliens are Stan Winston and his guys, uh, who I feel like we've talked about Stan Winston quite often in the last, you know, this year. Right, David? Haven't we, we've, we covered him, what, on Galaxy Quest, guys? That's right. Sure did. Yeah, Stan, Stan Winston has come up more than once i think on the show yeah. so yeah like he <laughs> and will continue well, to yeah. do so i mean he was he always will he was he was you know the top he was the i mean at the time top of the food chain right like he was he was a gentleman at the top of his oh, craft yeah. during the time when all these movies are getting made so yeah you know yeah. his name pops up in a lot of places oh yeah but uh, they brought so Sid Mead came in, who had design, done some of the designing for, uh, or a lot of the main designing for Blade Runner and Tron, which we we talked about last year and uh, 2010. And he came in and designed the Sulaco and the dropship and a lot of the vehicles. Uh, Ron Cobb came back to this one and he designed a lot of the looks on uh, LV426 and the kind of the Vietnam kind of tone and feeling of the movie uh the production designer was peter lamont who had done a lot of the james bond films and and they made the decision to do as much of the movie as possible practically and i think that makes a huge difference like especially 1980 cgi what that would have looked oh, like yeah. versus practical like horrible it would have really ruined the movie and and obviously they didn't have even possibly have the technology to do it in the first one, but it was a really great call to uh, uh, keep it as pra- as much practical as possible on this one. There's a lot of uh, matte paintings that 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 help you create scope and depth, but you know that that's it's only used sparingly throughout. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and front and rear projection. There's a little of that too. Oh yeah, and, that too. Yeah. And. You can see that, you know, that's the one thing you can kind of pull out. Yeah, it stands uh, now, it stands but, out. But if they yeah, would yeah, if they would have yeah, tried definitely. to use CGI, you know, like it would be it would make it almost unwatchable at this point, like because of yeah. the advancements in that quality. So like the fact that they went practical, I think, is what lends itself so well to that kind of timeless quality that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. in the show, you know. Yeah, and so much of the movie was done with miniatures, and it was uh, Robert and Dennis Skotak who did all the visual effects, or a lot of the visual effects, and and did all this model and miniature work, which, you know, I think there's a lot more than people realize in that movie. I mean, all the all the vehicles are all miniature, all the planet exteriors are all miniatures. Mm-hmm. I mean, I say miniatures, but they took up two full stages worth of, you know, they're not they're not. Yeah, you know, they're like five feet tall instead of yeah. you know, however. But so uh, wait, but I mean, like, actually, wait, can you clarify, like, the you know how they use that rope, the rover to get between, like, uh, places and all that, like the Batmobile type of vehicle. Was that a miniature yeah. or just like that? That had to be kind of full size, right? Or no? Was that is there? That... There, it depends on the shot. On most of the shots where you see it driving, it's a miniature. When you oh, see shit. them, the only time it's life size is when you see them getting in and out of it. Oh my god! I didn't know that because they did a lot. I mean, I mean, maybe it's like I feel like the environments that it was in were at least real, but then maybe the vehicle had to be scaled down to to match. But you know, when the when the that thing is going between and, and down hallways and turning and yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure it's not like super tiny, but I didn't realize it wasn't full size. I guess. Oh yeah, no, that was. Most of those are miniatures, 
and you know they're they're large miniatures. It's not like you know yeah. toy size, right. but uh, yeah. <clears throat> you, know, hot you, you need to see the intricacies, right? It's not Hot Wheels. <laughs> I didn't pull. I didn't. But, uh, I, I couldn't pick up on it. I mean, I try. I mean, I was like always look. You know, you watch these films and you try to like find like the production like side of things. Like you, you try to find like where they're faking it and all that. And uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, they like they created a whole like giant fucking tank vehicle. Like oh. No, but probably well, not. The, those guys, those guys probably shot like you know uh, at least a third of the movie. I mean, there's so many shots. You know, shots like when the, you know, after they get attacked and they you know kind of pull out and the the survivors are out waiting for the plane to come pick them up, and then you, you know, you see the alien on the plane and the plane crashes. That whole shot where the plane is coming at them, and then yeah. you know you see it go out of control and it clips its. Uh, you know, landing arm and and then flips over and and has multiple explosions. That's all super complex. I mean, it's much more complicated than you think because there's so many oh, yeah. timing elements. But is you that, know, they is, they actually shot that over and over. Is that a rear projection shot? That's them in a in a set with a screen, right? And a rear projection shot. Correct. Yeah. Going on and they yeah they jump the, behind. right. Because that's like the one shot that's that's like one maybe not the one but like one of the shots that stuck out to me when I was watching it here where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I see, you know, like I kind of see what's happening here and it doesn't really hold up s- super it, strong. It's mostly but, yeah. works. You can see it. Like there's a, there's, you know, a foreground with like a boulder or whatever and then them behind it. And then all that, like it's coming toward you. But they, I mean, even when they're diving out of the way and it cuts, like it almost seems that there's, there's stuff happening, like, you know, coming forward, like explosions, rocks, debris, smoke, just, just for that, like, one second to make it believable. So, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I know what you're saying, though. Like, you can tell, but I feel like, you know, the line is blurred, I think, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 well done for what it is, but it doesn't, like, obviously now, now you know, like, those types of things, they are able to make them much more seamless. But, yeah, for, oh, sure. for, yeah. for back in, you know, early to mid-'80s, uh, yeah. you know, well, plus it, you'd use it different, looked pretty great. Yeah. And yeah. you use different angles now to really like accentuate it oh, um, yeah. mm-hmm. versus like what they did then, like what works, you know, like, you know, toward the finale where it's, it's just Newt and Ripley and she's holding her and everything's on fire. And it's just a straight shot of her, like right at the edge where the, the you know, that, that, uh, that, that banister is. Um, before the alien, before yeah. the queen comes down on the elevator, and it's like you wouldn't shoot that any other way unless you had to shoot it that way. <laughs> like, right? You know, like that's the only way to shoot it to make it believable. But there's such a claustrophobia about that um, that shot that really works. Um, but if you had more, you know, tools at your disposal, you might shoot it a little differently, or at least like show more angles and stuff like that. But I love how much that works because it it, it is like they're gonna like I it, it's there's just that moment like they're gonna die like everything's exploding everything's yeah. on fire they are fucked yeah. like this doesn't look how good. the fuck are they gonna get out of this where's the ship it's such it's so it works so well then it's just that that old thing of like you know um, limitations breed innovation and that's what that's what happened and it it, it works. Yeah, and there's so you know along with the miniatures, but like you were saying, David, that and the environment too was it was uh, you know so important to really match, and it was 
it was hard for them to match the you know the environment the 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 rain and the smoke and the you know the you know general planetary environment on miniatures versus doing it on a on a stage and a set and where where it's a little a little easier to do but uh all of it like is I think all of the visual effects and the are yeah while those shots Brent are a little bit dated right. you know that's the only thing that really is kind of like ah yeah that that doesn't look as good in 2020 but um I'll say I'll say I give I'll him a say, pass for it I'll say the one <laughs> the one other thing that sticks out to me in this is at the beginning of the movie uh up until everybody gets a little roughed up it it certainly looks like everybody went and got their hair done at the mall ready for their glamour shots <laughs> like it's 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 very it's very glamtastic. <laughs> well, what do you think about those um, the Marines? I think they did a great job establishing even the, the the ones that died almost immediately or whatever. You know, it's a crew of very individual people. Like no no one's mm-hmm. quite stands. No one's quite vanilla in a sense of like yeah you don't know you're not going to remember everyone's name you're not going to remember everyone's but everyone's like personality but like they have a look you know they have a uh you know they have a little something going for them um so like when half of them are dead uh, you know halfway through the mission that you're on uh you're kind of like oh shit and then you can kind of glom onto the thing the stronger personalities that you know the, the folks that survive um so it's like it's really effective like i mean you know cameron had to manage giving a slight personality or a slight like you know engagement to the audience with you know 12 guys or you know 12 characters excuse me aside from ripley and burke um that we've already met you know they they it's it's a great job i mean i gotta give them credit for that like uh you understand that the when they have a loss it's a big loss, even if it's like four at a mm-hmm. time in the beginning. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of what he did there. I love these Marines. I love this group. They, to me, they feel like a real team. And I do think, you know, I maybe it just stuck out for me, but uh, I, I do think you remember their names and you, they do have distinct personalities. And you know, when you see them get into formation, you, you, I think it's fairly clear, like who is, who is where, what they each of them do. Um, you know, there's there's two with the big, you know, uh, steady cam guns. <laughs> uh, you know that that Sergeant Apone is in charge, and you know I think you know Bill Paxton obviously stands out. So does Michael Bean, but they did a great job. I, I think that's a good cast. You know, casting wise, they all have distinct looks for the most part. I mean, I guess military tend do tend to have kind of a similar look in in film at least, but. Yeah, um, I love all these actors. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, at least, I mean, for me, like Michael Bean, uh, you know, uh, Bill Paxton, Lance Henriksen, <clears throat> like all those guys. Like, I mean, they were in so many movies from this time frame uh, that yeah. you know, like, uh, ob- like I, I adore all of them. But yeah, to your point, like, I think the cast of of the military. Um, personnel is pretty spot on you know at least for at least uh, at least that group and then you know like private vasquez and some of the others you know like they mm-hmm. definitely have very distinct personalities and even though you don't get to spend a whole lot of time developing their characters like they feel really fleshed out and like 
fully fully developed even though you don't get a lot of time dedicated to it i feel like you could see and i'm, I'm shocked that in in the whole world of of going back to what worked that is happening in movies you know these days that they have not no nobody's gone back and done a prequel to aliens just about the marines you know because you know that they've already uh, they've been on, you know, quote unquote, bug hunts before and, and they've gone after other, you know, <clears throat> not xenomorphs, but other aliens or monsters or whatever. And they've got history together. Uh, I'm shocked that nobody's gone back and done a movie about them. Starship Troopers. What are you talking about? You, didn't you yeah, guys I mean, do Well, that's funny. That's, a, that's that. in the archives, right? <laughs> yeah. Sure is. Uh, and that's funny because uh, James Cameron had once he cast all the roles, he had them study Robert Heinlein's Starship Troopers as that as like a background for those characters. Really? So that's See? funny that you say that. That's How funny. about that shit? Like he understood. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but why? Um, but I mean, you know, that's the problematic thing about prequels is like, well, if you think you think you can monetize like a franchise or whatever or a movie on prequels, it's like you know, uh, obviously these Marines are used to dealing with creatures not from earth so they call it a bug hunt or whatever but you mm-hmm. know these are guys guys and gals who survived all those things like what's the point if they're like invincible you know like that's the thing with like say predator where uh you know that that team that was assembled these guys like kick ass all the time know what's going on and that's why the predator is such a threat when he just like mows them all down so why do I want to see like everyone, you know, all these characters who are like really good at their jobs all the time, you know, after we've seen them being killed or, you know, uh, up against a, an enemy that they can't do. So I get, well, I get maybe what, because I get what you're you, saying, but maybe, maybe because you like the characters, you know, I, I really like those characters. So I would definitely watch it. I don't know if I'd watch it now, but uh, if they had done it before and used Michael Bean and Bill Paxton, R.I.P. Um, you know, I think. Uh... Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's weird. Like, at, yeah. you know, why did George Lucas decide to do episode four of Star Wars? Like, start to, you know, begin in the beginning. Like, why did he do? Wasn't it called episode four? <laughs> then? Yeah, yeah. Or something. Well, I mean, clearly. Why they, do you do that? Clearly that's they crazy. Didn't. <laughs> clearly they didn't do it i'm just thinking now nowadays when you, they want to milk these franchises out so yeah. bad and even with alien with going back and doing prequels to alien but not having done it with the you know arguably the most popular movie of them all well if i would if i was in the if i was in the military i'd follow uh I'd, i i would certainly follow uh corporal hicks into into any uh, skirmish necessary <laughs> Michael Bean is just not in enough um, stuff anymore. I, it's disappointing. Uh, no, yeah, no. All right, shit. Let me just. It's been like. Let me just years. say. <laughs> let me just say right now. I love. I've I've always loved Michael Bean. He's one of my top guys. I mean, he's right under for me. Believe it or not, he's right under Kurt and Paul Newman and Bill Murray. He's uh he's a he's a top. He's probably top ten. I don't know if he's top five anymore, but top ten guy for me for sure. Easily, I love Michael Bean. He's easily Michael in Bean. the top ten. Yeah, I like to. I like well, Michael Bean. I'm a big fan. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I was, you know, it was the, Michael Bean's career. You know, he owes a lot to James Cameron. A lot of these sure. guys do. I mean, you've got the James Cameron players kind of all in this movie. Um, 
you know, all through the 80s and into the early 90s, it was like they were almost some version of them were together in movies. And whether it was Michael Bean and Bill Paxton or Bill and Lance and and uh, Jeanette Goldstein and Near Dark, um, you know, or each of them continuing on in other James Cameron movies. Uh, they're amazing together. And the problem with Michael Bean is I think, you know, unfortunately, he got typecast. He got typecast as the military guy. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That could be. Um, You know, between Terminator and this and the Abyss and Navy Navy Seals, which let's I want to do a show very soon. We know let's talk about it at the the end of the show, but we got to do Navy Seals. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, and then later on, The Rock, you know, he got formed right into that. You know, he's a lieutenant. He's a sergeant. He's. Uh, you know, a corporal, whatever. But that was, he got locked into that. And then the other part of the problem is actually is Alien 3 and the way that went. And that Alien 3 was supposed to be the movie that was going to really launch Michael Bean as an A-list hero. It was going to be like his diehard because they were going to transition the franchise from Sigourney Weaver and Ripley to the Hicks character and make him the hero going forward. I know, and I know, I know zero about this. Please explain. Yeah. What are you talking There's, about? <clears throat> what? <laughs> we're, we'll, we'll deep dive this when we cover alien three, but uh, you know that there was several different versions of, uh, of scripts that were all in pre-production basically simultaneously. And then at the last minute, Fox decided to pull the plug on, I believe two of them and went forward with the one that eventually became what was released and that David Fincher shot. But there was huge, you know, he ended up, you know, suing Fox or, or at least threatening to sue. And the, he got paid his full, what his full salary would have been just for the one little shot you see of him in the beginning of the movie. Um, there's a whole, there's a whole story to it. And it was, it was devastating not getting that role uh, or what they chose to creatively do with the Hicks and character and Newt and the survivors from Aliens um, really, really derailed Michael Bean's career, unfortunately. And, and it never really recovered. Um, he's done a lot of his uh, he's actually writing and directing his own things now. But yeah. um, and then aren't we going to see him in Mandalorian season two? Yeah, apparently he's in at least the first episode. right? Yeah, he's in. He's, yeah. He's in at least one episode for sure. So yeah. Good, 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 good. Well, n- now he should start getting roles. You know, people, people our age who are now some of which are like creative executives, like who loved Aliens and the Terminator and and Tombstone. You know, throw throw Michael Bean a bone. Yeah, for those of us who don't give a shit about <laughs> Fox and one. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. But yeah, Michael Bean <laughs> needs to show up in things again. Um, all this talk about Bean, though, really quick, Johnny, uh, I think I need to share something with you that I found out recently that I think is going to make you mad jealous. Uh, a buddy of mine Uh-oh. who's also named John, but he spells your, his name differently. You've met this person. <laughs> um, mm, I know John. You know John. He has a signed Blu-ray from Michael Bean that he got at a con, like, years ago, so... Oh, and it's nice. of, of aliens. So I think, and I think it even oh. says to my number one fan, John, with the name properly spelled, 
Michael Bean. So he's kind of throwing shade <laughs> at you, like, like without even knowing it. All right. <laughs> I'm going to have to one-up that. We're going to have to get uh, – you know what? We're going to get him – we're going to get Michael Bean over in Recon Cinema Studios, and we're going to have a meeting. We'll just tell, we're going we're gonna to plot out a trilogy of movies we're going to do together. That's it. That's it's got to happen. There you go. That's how you, you one-up the game on that. Um, yeah. How much, how much would you pay for a Michael Bean signed Blu-ray and a meet-and-greet? Uh, I'd probably pay $44,126. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. wow. Actually, if you yeah, let him know. I'd, I'd go that far. I bet you that's if a you Price like, is Right number. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a Price is Right number. I bet if you contacted him and offered him that money, I bet you he'd be down for like a 15-minute meeting. And, and a Blu-ray, maybe maybe a maybe a stop by at my house. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, who knows? Yeah. He's I think he's in L.A., so you can get him. We should but anyway. All right, <laughs> maybe he'll join us for one of the backyard movie nights. That would be pretty rad. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> all right, we'll try it. But I love all these guys, and and the whole casting process was kind of interesting. They, uh, you know, they shot the movie in England. Um, they shot uh, at Pinewood for most of it. And actually, they shot. You know where they shot the power plant uh, stuff. You know the the pr- processing plant. Where they shot it at uh, in this place called the Acton Power Plant outside London. But it's actually the same place they shot Axis Chemicals in Batman. Oh, the eighty nine Batman. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's same a, place. Oh, that's cool. <clears throat> And they, uh, you know, it was very run down. It had a good look, like rusted look that they, they liked. So they didn't have to do as much work to the interiors. Obviously, like, redecorate a lot of it. But um, it had a good natural look. And, and uh, yeah, they used it in both, both movies. But uh, So they shot, they, apparently they read 3,000 British actors because they... <laughs> Because Three. it was shot there, they needed to hire as many British actors as possible. 3,000? <laughs> That's, no, that's the, what they say. They that's literally impossible. Z- xenomorph that's, that's, suits, that's, or what? Are, where, where are these? Where are these all three thousand actors? Between, you'd have to read fifty <laughs> guys a day for two hundred days. That's oh, okay for for twenty for twenty days. That's a lot of people. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Three thousand people. So and and the funny thing was, a lot of the people that they cast in the movies were American actors who. They kind of worked around it, that they hired American actors who were living in England. Like Jeanette Goldstein, who plays Vasquez, was living in England. She was She's an American actress, but uh, they hired her over there. Same thing with Mark Ralston, who plays Drake and who was in so many other movies, like Shawshank Redemption after this, and great character actor. But uh, they only shipped over, I think, you know, a handful of people, really. Yeah, but, but Hicks wasn't originally played by Bean, right? Right. Uh, they cast James Remar from 48 Hours. Uh, he was the original Hicks. Mm-hmm. And there's there's two stories that are told about why he was replaced. And they actually shot some of the scenes where the Marines enter the power plant for the first time, like right before they get mauled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a couple shots where you can actually see James Remar. Mostly you're looking at his back. Um, but uh yeah it was just like way too expensive to reshoot those and i'm sure they worked it out financially with him but uh yeah apparently he did not 
you know, see the character the same way as James Cameron. And if you don't see, if you don't agree with James Cameron's way, you're not going to last very long. No, he will kill you, destroy you. (laughs) And uh, they had, you know, they talked to Michael Bean originally. I think, I don't know what the reason was why they didn't cast him to begin with. Um, But he always wanted the role or a role in Aliens and, uh, Gail Ann Heard, the producer, called him on a Friday and was like, can you get on a plane over the weekend and start shooting first thing Monday morning? And and that's what he did. There we go. All right. Um, yeah, and then, the you know, Bill Paxton was a... Let's talk about Bill Paxton because I love Bill Paxton. I, I miss Bill Paxton so much, and it's unfortunate that he, he was, you know, he left us way too soon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is his how many how many appearances now on the podcast? If we had Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton in the eighties and nineties, and, and and throughout, I mean, he, uh, an amazing talent, and uh, is he's he stands out for this because you know this is a, this is a film where what Paxton is what uh, he goes through such a character change from the beginning where you he's kind of like a kind of a goofball and kind of an asshole yeah. and then but also yeah. super competent in his job is like he's kind of like a tech expert and then but also fearful and 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 crazy and then he becomes a badass and then goes yeah. out in a blaze of glory like this is a this is a film where Paxton just you know you you your feelings on his character of Hudson changes like throughout the film and mm-hmm. it only works because of how he how he commands that performance, right? I mean, yeah, I don't know. yeah. I mean, each of these characters have have an arc. They all have, you know, they all start in one place and end, you know, somewhere different. And they all, I guess, they all grow uh, to a certain extent. Um, whether they survive or not is another thing. But yeah, I mean, Hudson's such an amazing character. He's got, of course, like the most quotable lines and dialogue in the movie, yeah. and you know, stuff that. All, went all the way through Paxton's career and and uh, he just had such a great body of work and I, I think people forget about how many great movies he was in. Maybe we should, you know what, I, I think we should look at, let's let's stay with Bill Paxton the next few episodes. I think we could, we could pull some things together. He's right, we'll been, talk about it, yeah. Let's, yeah. Yeah, he's been, he's been in plenty of, plenty of movies worth talking about for sure. Yeah, totally. Uh, and and he goes, you know, he owes his career really to Cameron. I mean, they started together. He was like a, you know, one of uh, another designer along with with Cameron, you know, in the Roger Corman years. And, and so they kind of started out together and he kind of, you know, did whatever Cameron needed him to do and and, uh, you know, got his first. Uh, I guess Weird Science was before this, and he had been acting a little bit, but he got, you know, this was his, I think this was really his, like, breakout, much more of a heavier supporting role. Yeah, he had been in a few uh, things yeah. here or there, but he was, a, you know, I mean, like, obviously he had that small role in Terminator. Uh, mm. He had a bunch of different small roles, but yeah, this is kind of the first one where he was... Uh, Pretty recognizable. He's a main character. Yeah, main character, recognizable afterwards. I mean, definitely heavily quoted, uh, as you mentioned before. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, he he wasn't he wasn't a big name, but like I mean, he's even he's got a bit part in Stripes, but then he shows up in a lot of like 
small movies uh, with uh, his roles. And then, like, you know, I think Weird Science, Commando, uh, th- those are the movies where he's, like, he's he's popping up and, like, becoming a, a, a yeah. known Yeah, well, but Weird, Weird Science, he has a named character. I mean, yeah, Terminator and Commando, he's got... He's just a dude, you know, he right? He doesn't really <laughs> even have a name. He's in yeah. one scene. But yeah. Weird but he's Science, there. he's actually, like, one of the supporting characters. And then this follows that up uh, immediately, I think, and... And this is, you know, quite an expansion for him. And then he's like near dark after that, right? With uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I mean, like the early eighties, he, he his his career is kind of growing until he can get into Navy SEALs, your Predator twos, all that shit. Like he's yeah. your true. But then, oh man, True Lies. Like I mean, he explodes on that in True Lies. He's so great. And then Twister, he's leading. He's leading man. Like yeah, yeah. And then of course he go he. He, it's time to go back to Titanic with in Titanic. <laughs> like, uh, you know, he does. <laughs> I like, uh, and, and of course, Simple Plan in 1998, where we covered it yeah. in the, the show. I like Frailty. I saw that in the theaters in 2001. Yeah, he's good. Even uh, you know the last the last big role I saw him in was Nightcrawler, which I thought he was great in. Oh, that's right. He was in Nightcrawler. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. I forgot about that. Uh. We'll never cover it on this show because we stop in uh, 2001 or two. So sure. uh, we'll yeah. never cover Nightcrawler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Didn't he show up in the, uh, the hell was that movie? Um, they changed the title. No, they didn't change the title. Edge, the Edge of Tomorrow or the Tom Cruise movie. Yeah, he's. Uh, oh, did he? I yeah, yeah. I have not seen it. Yeah, he's in that. You haven't seen it? Oh, my God. Yeah, you I haven't hope. seen that oh. movie, John? <laughs> Dude, no, no. it's right. so good. Right after this, watch it. It it's so <laughs> good. Edge of Tomorrow, right? I was right. on a real big anti cruise thing for a long time. So. Yeah, yeah. Tom Get Cruise over sucks, it, I dude. Guess, or watch whatever. that movie. Edge of Tomorrow is, <laughs> is an amazing sci-fi, amazing well, action. Now that I know Bill Paxton's in it, then then I'll watch it. Back to Aliens, though. Uh, the rest of the cast: Carrie Hen, who plays Newt. <clears throat> they read uh, many, many children, you know, child actors who were doing commercials in, in London at the time. Yeah. And nobody, they couldn't get anybody who, who would work because they all were doing commercials. So at the end of their d- line, they would, they would look at the camera and smile. <laughs> oh, because they were like just child <laughs> actors and commercials. Yeah. You could have got a Charlie Bucket in there, right? Like, could we, could we not have uh, done a Willie? Apparently not. Why can't we get Charlie Bucket in there? <laughs> or a but, uh, Salt in there. So, and this was the beginning and the end of Carrie Han's acting career. And um, I think she's she's great. She's definitely super memorable as new. Yeah, she does great. She never did anything ever again? No. No, she quit. And she got into... She, yeah, she really didn't pursue acting. She did this. And I think... I think, uh, you know, because of the kind of movie that it was, it was, I don't think she had like the, the best time making it. Not that anything bad happened. It was just long hours. And, you know, I, I heard her talk about the scene where she's cocooned towards the end of the movie. And she told James Cameron, because he was like setting her in place physically there. She's like, you know, you should be arrested for doing this to a kid. (laughs) She said that to James Cameron? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. 
But uh, so I don't know if she really enjoyed it. I think she loved she loves the world of the movie. Like now she loves doing fan conventions and talking about the movie and, and all of that. And so I don't think it was like a huge negative experience, but I don't think it was anything. I don't think it was clearly it wasn't anything she wanted to keep doing. Right. Yeah, I think she, I think um, she embraces yeah. where like her place in the whole thing. Where like uh, I think she's on Twitter as like a real Carrie Ann, and uh, you know she's gone to the conventions. She talks about it, I think fondly. Like she's she's someone that uh, like understands her place in the the pop culture of it all. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe. yeah. But a um, couple of the other actors, uh, Jeanette. Jeanette Goldstein, I just want to say, I think is amazing as Vasquez. Uh, great, great character there. Another, another strong female character in the movie. I mean, you've got, you know, the, the feminism is a very important part of this movie, and you've got four, including the alien queen. You've got four really strong female characters, which is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Well, and th- I mean, I mean, to, to to be quick, just to be really quick on that, like you know, feminism in terms of like a woman acting sort of like in the man's role of things. Like I don't know if that's necessarily accurate, but it is good to see like Owen being, you know, with with Jeanette as Vasquez um, being, you know, completely independent of what everyone else's expectations are. So, um, right. you know, I don't know. I I I'd probably argue that like. Ripley is a more feminist than Vasquez is because oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah but, absolutely but, yeah. but I mean not to, but that isn't to detract from what like Vasquez is in the movie where you know the expectation especially in like you know uh, sci-fi and and just and you know in those decades from before where the woman's a little more helpless or a little more incapable or whatever Vasquez is an you know an ass kicker and and doesn't really need anybody else to uh, to do all mm-hmm. the things that she does. So, absolutely, right. uh, you know, uh, a big fan of, of Vasquez and Jeanette. Uh, yeah, both seen in that. Yeah, and she would show up in well Near Dark with uh, Bill and Lance Henriksen, and then she'd be in Terminator Two and Titanic. Yeah. She's in Terminator <clears throat> Two. She's in. Uh, I think she's in Clockstoppers. Uh, also with uh, Michael Bean. I don't know if you know that. That's a. I think with a, a kid sci-fi movie from the late, early. Oh um, yeah. Early early two thousands. Uh, yeah. Uh, showing up in things and then uh, even I guess in some. Oh, she is the. Uh, never. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm showing up, but she, <laughs> she's a she's a working actress. She does. She yeah. does great. Lance Henriksen, also, you know, another amazing actor who's done so many great movies and a lot of a lot of great horror movies and like Pumpkinhead. And, um, you know, this is I think the Bishop character is so such a great sort of a red herring, would you say? A little bit. Yeah. Based off Ash. Yeah. Depending on like your perspective, because if you're with Ripley, which you kind of are from the beginning, you're with her. Your suspicions are are basically in agreement with her. Everything she's saying is yeah. true. So yeah, if she suspects him as bad, uh, you would kind of be in the same boat. Uh, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, they definitely plan. Yeah, you've they got no reason to seed. trust. Yeah, exactly. They definitely don't want you to trust yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after what you know, you saw her go through in the first movie. There's no reason to trust the synthetics and. You know, there's every reason to not believe Bishop, but 
the interesting thing that Cameron did was he played it straight. They, you know, played that character. He was, or at least through the actions of this movie, had no ulterior motive and was, you know, there to help. And and thank God, because he's like one of the only characters to actually like get through and make a huge difference where they're just on the defensive the whole time. He's the one who is able to kind of like tunnel out and get the call up to the uh, dropship. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the the other actor I want to mention is Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser's in this movie. Who? Oh, Paul. Who? <laughs> Comedian. Paul Reiser. My, Paul which, Reiser? my favorite for my favorite actor from Beverly Hills Cop. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And at this point, he was really mostly a stand-up comedian, right? That's where, yeah, that's where yeah. he made his career as a stand-up, yeah, absolutely. But he was also, you know, yeah, like, he was acting, but yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, stand-up is where he was. Uh, I mean, you know, wait, wasn't he in, uh, he was in Diner, though. Like, that was his first, like, big role, yes. right, with Diner. Yeah, yeah, um, yep. And then Beverly's Cop, Aliens, uh, so he's, you know, he's an actor-comedian, probably a stand-up I mean, depending on your perspective, he's more of a stand-up. But depending on your perspective, he's also more of an actor. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I always knew him as an actor and then didn't find out about his stand-up till a little bit later on. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, so he sh- he's shown up in so many things uh, beyond. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, he's probably more of an actor than he is a stand-up. But he's a, a, a professional, uh, a wonderful stand-up and uh, really knows what he's doing. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to see him in this. It's he is that staple of the '80s of like, you know, s- smarmy but not quite, but trustworthy but yeah. not quite. Right. Like you know, yeah, he like, plays he plays that character really well. Yeah, it, it that's his well, bread and, and the, the first time I saw this, I mean, the first time I like really saw it and and straightened things out in my head, um, I. You know, I didn't really think he was going to turn on her. I thought he w- I did think he was kind of with her up to a point and then you you start to suspect, but I thought he did a good job of like it seemed like he was being upfront with her, you know, the Burke character seemed like he was being upfront with Ripley in the beginning. Yeah, I can believe it. Especially especially when you see the deleted uh, you know, the the special edition right. that it's got the scenes where He's talking to her about her daughter, and yeah. and so there's, you know, he's really the only person she can even kind of connect to, um, at all. So, yeah. Uh, but then obviously that's not the case all the way through. And what's interesting though, like he, you know, <laughs> at that first scene where they touch down at the colony and all that, and like Ripley's like, they're not, it's not cleared. Like you can't, like what are you talking about? But they all go in. But even still he goes in with them. Like Burke goes in with all right. of them. So he's at least yeah. a, a, at as much risk as Ripley is, or at least any of mm-hmm. those Marines. So it is almost like you, your, your guard is down about the vulnerability of that. Like, and I think it's, mm-hmm. uh, you can kind of buy into the fact that like maybe he really is on his, on her side. You don't suspect that I think until it really happens. And I, I, I think that's, what's effective about the script and the way that, Burke is presented in all. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's a great, it's a great character work. Uh, I think this is probably Paul Reiser's best acting job as well. I can't think of anything I like more than this, as far as his serious roles. 
I guess, yeah. I don't know. I've never seen that Amazon show, Red Oaks, where he's a a person who is in that show. Oh, is he in Kaminsky Method too? I don't know. He's he's a busy guy. He's I haven't seen that. But he's in Stranger yeah, Things. Stranger things. things. Yeah, I mean, he, Stranger yeah, Things. He's a little bit of a Burke-like character. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, he's serving his own interests and stuff. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But uh, what about um, my two dads, though? Classic. <laughs> my two dads is great, and <laughs> yeah, he had sixty episodes in My Two Dads. <laughs> And it's got one of the best opening theme songs in TV history. How's that go? Do you, can you sing it? I'll sing it off air for you. Don't worry. I'll, right. I'll close the show with it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I think this episode um, should close with the My Two Dads theme. I don't know. <laughs> I think you should remember that when we put this all together. Uh, so uh, just jumping back to the production of, of the movie, it, this was a really hard shoot. Um, it, obviously I think working with James Cameron is difficult to begin with. He's a perfectionist and is very intense and is not always, he's, you know, known for, for not being the nicest guy and the nicest communicator of what his needs and, and wants are. And he expects, you know, 200% of the crew, uh, you know, of, of their, 200% out of them and they shooting in in London he was actually using a lot of Ridley Scott's crew from Alien wow so they had a lot of loyalty to Ridley and it seemed like they were kind of annoyed that Ridley wasn't directing the movie and there was a couple of times of revolt from the crew um, he did not get along with the original director of photography named named Dick Bush, uh, who really thought that if Ridley wasn't directing this movie, that he should have been directing it. So he wanted to light the movie like really brightly. And they got into it over the, the, the shots where the Marines are first going into the power plant. And, you know, clearly those are darkly lit. It's mostly lit by the you know, enhanced by the uh, flashlights over the, the Marine's shoulders. Right. And, you know, he wanted it to be a horror movie, creepy and scary and dark. And uh, the DP just wouldn't do it. So they ended up, uh, Gail Ann Hurd ended up replacing him with, with Adrian Biddle, who was another one of Ridley's guys, but not a DP. This was one of his first uh, times he bumped up. So, hmm. um yeah, and they were he had they had problems with the first AD, and I know like Jeanette Goldstein had issues with the you know the first AD was uh, you know a veteran who would call the women honey and love and you know sugar and all that stuff, and it was just like she couldn't get into the head of Vasquez with some some guy calling her love all the time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and the crew, you know, they would in England. Apparently, they take tea. They have tea time. So at a certain point, mm-hmm. someone like a, a, like a little lady rolls in a tea cart into the stage, and they stop shooting. And no matter what they're doing, at a it was like 10 a.m. or something, they would just shut down and take a tea break, and and that drove Cameron crazy. <laughs> oh, that American so, <laughs> Philistine. Yeah. So, and and you know every every day they were getting further and further behind schedule and clearly this is a complicated movie with a lot of 
a lot of sets and a lot of uh, complicated sets and complicated effects and miniatures and models and, um, you know, uh, just so many layers of complication that it was hard for him to get the crew's respect and focus. And, and they eventually did kind of work it out and get through it all. But it was it was a struggle. It was it was a hard it wasn't an easy shoot. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean. James Cameron being the perfectionist that he is as well, you know, like it's just, it takes a lot of time to get, to get those things just right. And to be interrupted by tea time (laughs) right in the middle of it can't be great. That's yeah. No. Uh, And you hear of other stories on some of the other movies. I mean, yeah, a lot of these guys, they understood what he wanted, like Paxton and, and Michael Bean and those guys, they, so they were able to work with him, and obviously so was Arnold. Um, but some people had a hard time, like Ed Harris on The Abyss. They did not get along. And, and uh, you know, I think Cameron's a, a type A personality, and, and it's not always going to work for everybody. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I think once they started seeing the footage coming back and, and seeing what it was, starting to see the whole picture of what, what he was building – that's when it started to register with the crew and and everybody really that this is this is something special this is going to be really good so let's let's do what he's asking for yeah um also when they were shooting in the apc which is that armored car uh when they were shooting those shots of like when the alien like bursts in and hicks like shoots it in the in the head with the shotgun uh you know and there's a fire in there apparently it you know, whatever material they were in there with, like went up immediately and it sucked out all the oxygen. So oh. they, you, the actors like mid take were like, I can't breathe. And there was no air and they got, you know, they were in trouble. And then it happened again. So they ended up having to take the roof off of that APC when they shot those scenes. Oh, cool. <laughs> safety <laughs> safety know, first. They might die. They didn't safety they first. Oh my God! Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, crazy. Um, I want to just go back to Stan Winston again, real quick, because just unfortunately he's passed away as well. I, I mean, he's got to be one of the iconic, uh, you know, effects people in the history of the business. I mean, he's done the biggest movies, right? Jurassic Park and this, and so many others, right? Yeah, and he was second in he was second unit director on this as well, I believe. So, I mean, he Yeah. Well, he's a lot of people <laughs> I think a lot of people shot some extra footage. I know that the Skotak brothers shot uh, a lot. I think uh, Stan Winston did as well and, and yeah. a few other people, but yeah, he he shot a lot of this stuff and and all the, you know, the alien design was all his and yeah. And there are slight differences with this alien compared to the, the way the alien looks in the first one. And it's hard to tell from memory, but when you put them side by side, you can see what, like the dome is a little, is a little different there. The mouth is a little bit different, especially with the queen. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it it's taking Giger's uh, designs and modifying them to what works for like this film, you know, like it, it, taking it to a yeah. next level. I think that's, you know, I think that's a credit to him because, like, you know, with the queen and everything, like, the queen effect is the unbelievable. I mean, that's complete puppetry, and, and part of he, it is. There's a couple shots where where it's a real fourteen foot 
actual, well, still a puppet, but yeah, but a larger scale one. It's not a person is what I'm saying. Like, you know, like the, the xenomorph running, you know, across the ceiling or on the floor, you know, but right. like, uh, that those are people, there's, there are people in suits at certain points. But I mean, the queen, I think, is almost completely, completely false, you know, completely right. uh, designed a puppet in a sense, but also mm-hmm. threatening and uh, just just looks fantastic. Takes up the screen. The movement is so unworldly and just just, you know, kind of there's a scary element like this movie is not scary but it's intense. And I think that's the way it can yeah. even put it. Right. So like, it's like, yeah. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm trying to keep the, the thrills alive in a sense. And like, mm-hmm. for me, like but in that, and in, in that for me as a modern viewer in like the eighties, nineties, two thousands. And now like, that's what I get out of a, an action movie. I want the thrills. I want something that like mm-hmm. gets me, gets me hooked without it being like, I don't know, without it being anything other than engaging and thrilling and fun. Like, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need it to be, I don't want it to look fake. I don't want it to look cheesy. I don't, and if it's cheesy, fine. But, but if it works within the context of its own film, then that's great. Um, But like, you know, I I think that, that, that's a, a testament to the way that this, uh, with Stan Winston and the way the all, all the design of, of all the things that are going on in this film, uh, you know, it ups the ante. I think the thing that's most interesting to me about a lot of this is, it, and including the Queen, is, you know, it really starts to help establish uh, kind of the idea that there are there are more like levels. And we talked a little bit about it earlier when you talked about some of the cut footage that that was in the special edition of of you know. Uh, the military guys talking about how it works like a beehive and things like that. But it's really like kind of establishing the different kind of classes of the aliens. Right. And, and the idea, Mm -hmm. the idea that there can be um, kind of different uh, types of xenomorphs that, that have different specific kind of jobs that they're, that they're intended to kind of carry out. And I think that this movie does a really good job of of kind of laying that groundwork because I don't, you know, I mean, like other than other than the, um, I I don't know what the the name of the alien creature is that attaches itself to your to your face, but like face hugger, the face hugger, the face yeah. Hugger. So the face hugger and the xenomorph are established in the in the first one, but this one takes it to that next level, you know, where it's like, oh, beyond that there's these queens and there's these different types of aliens. And I think that that that's really yeah. cool. Cause that, that opens up the whole door for, for all these uh, you know, like what happens in part three and, and, you know, kind of the, the direction that they take uh, the franchise, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the queen was such a, such a great idea, such a smart move. And, it, and the queen comes at like, you know, it's great that you don't see the queen till right at the end of the movie really i mean you're in the last act act essentially you know you don't it's alluded to and hinted at uh throughout but it's not like you get a shot of anything until until she sees it and it's such a great you know reveal shot the way she realizes what room she just ran into with her and newton she's surrounded not only surrounded by the eggs but she turns around and there's this giant 
queen right there and then it's you know it's woman against woman yeah that scene that's it's it's Um, it's mother versus mother that scene is really interesting because it's like they come in there they're in there you've got the xenomorphs that are coming in like on her sides like trying to flank her and then and then ripley ripley's like okay well if you're gonna come at me i'm gonna i'm gonna kill all your little babies and then the queen calls them off She like eases out to get out of there, and then she she massacres them anyway. She's like, uh, "Yeah, I'm torching, I'm torching your pods. Peace, I'm out." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was uh, such a great moment without dialogue and just all done with looks and music and tone and and it's just that head tilt that Ripley does. It says, "Screw it," you know, and she just does it anyway. Yeah, she's she like, can't I, let them. Yeah, live. she's she like, knows "I can't. I didn't. Are, you know? I didn't come here to let these." these bastards live like these these yeah these aliens are going down yeah um really great but yeah back to what you were saying david there was uh, the the alien queen was controlled by 16 different operators who were all controlling different aspects of it which is i just i can't imagine how much work that was to to get that all working in unison and and then yeah, for other shot, a lot of the other shots, it's a miniature, miniature version of that of that puppet. But uh, and I don't even I uh, you know I don't even like calling it a puppet, but that's technically what it is. So it's puppetry, um, but like you know, it's it's yeah. it's it's like you know uh, taking all the, the 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 gremlins or the mogwais, and you know the the amount of animatronics and wire work and things that goes into that, and then amplify it to you know, 12 times the size or a hundred, right. you know, I don't even know, but like you can, you can do it. You just, it takes a lot of design. The, the, um, the attention to every piece of articulation where you're going to have like every joint move or every fingertip yeah. or, you know, it, it can all be done. It's just time design and, and, and money really. Yeah. And uh, you know, the way it's all cut together, uh, where yeah, if you're gonna be a an astute viewer, you'd be like, yeah, well, obviously that's fake, because obviously this alien does not exist in the real world. But the way it looks on film, I mean, I think it's as threatening as anything that uh, that we've ever seen in terms of a monster mm-hmm. or anything like that. So the queen yeah. is is clearly like, oh shit, like I you don't want to f with that like, <laughs> right. like at all. Well, and and she's such an iconic like villain character because. You only see the alien queen once. Like, she doesn't come back in a sequel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, like, it's, uh, it's a big deal. The battle, the final, the final battle between them all is uh, quite, a, quite a thing. I'm, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I, and I, I, like how it, I like how it comes down to, you know, women as power figures. Uh, and it's kind of what their what their role is, you know, what Ripley's fighting against the whole way through the movie. And then when it all boils down to it, it's two it's one powerful woman who's proved herself against another powerful, you know, alien woman <laughs> who has proven herself and uh, you know, it's a it's a fight to the death. Yeah, that well, final that I final fight it's... is pretty fantastic in the in the in the mech suit. And, yeah. You know, it's a it's great. It's a great little climax. It's it's interesting though because you you have maybe what two different climaxes in the movie right where you know they're 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 trying to get through it and then they're just trying to get to the ship and then we lose uh, we lose Newt and then it's like 
okay, we gotta we gotta get Newt, and then we and then Michael Bean is taken out of the story, like he is damaged enough, yeah. and then without a, it's not about like there's no doubt, there's no like um, uh, there's no hesitation where. Ripley basically figures out like she's learned a bunch of stuff about how the weapons work and the the tools they have and all of that, and it's not because she, like she's so great with it, but she knows what everything does. She gets in an elevator, she packs up everything she needs because there is no other choice. Newt mm-hmm. has to be saved. It doesn't matter if there's fourteen minutes left before this nuclear explosion. I'm going to get her. There's no other choice. You're not taking off without me and Newt, and it's. Right. And there's nothing, there's almost like, I don't know if it's a disservice to say this, but like, there's almost nothing feminist about it. It's about, it's humanist. It's it's just humanity. It's like, but Mm -hmm. I I think it is like, because it's her doing it, not a a male hero doing it, that it just elevates to that next level where whatever fear, trepidation, the nightmare she was having, all those things we saw in the early, earlier parts of the film, they don't exist because she has to save Newt, and that—that's the only mm-hmm. thing that matters. Um, I, I think that's well, and I—that's—that's that's so perfect to me. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, you know, by the end of the movie, I think her her faith in men is at least slightly restored uh, because the men that are left are the two men who were true to her the whole time the you robot know, Bishop has <laughs> and pro- the guy who's been yeah, well robot. yeah but i mean yeah he's a robot but <laughs> yeah the robot has proven <laughs> but he's a man that, robot. He's, that he's not that he's not gonna betray her right like he he did exactly yeah. what he said he was gonna right. do uh and there was yeah. a moment right. there was a moment where she was like oh i was right he did betray me and then you know obviously he comes right galloping in in the in the in the yeah. drop ship and and picks him up but for a minute you think maybe he did get she did get screwed yeah yeah absolutely right and then michael bean you know as hicks like he's the one showing her respect and trying to get people to listen to her and he believes her the whole time and you know thank god that somebody did <laughs> otherwise they all would have been killed and then he's the one showing her how to use the weapons that they have and yep. You know, and then the, through that they have a, a, a the building of a relationship, and then in one of the deleted scenes, um, or I guess his last deleted scene, like they reveal each other's real names to each other, yeah. and it's just you know this moment between them before she goes back to get Newt, which is a really great character moment for him and for her. Yeah. All right. Oh, so like in the yeah those that the um, director's cut or whatever That's special right. edition, yeah. like she reveals her name is Ellen and. Him is, what's his name? Dwayne. Dwayne. Dwayne Hicks. Dwayne. Jesus yeah. Christ. Dwayne. Dwayne. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, Dwayne. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> you um, think it'd be like By Jack? the way, I just want to say, I just want to say, Michael Bean. It, I don't know why they didn't make a, a live-action GI Joe movie in the '80s or early '90s. <laughs> But if they did, he should have been Duke for sure. Definitely. I don't know sure. what happened there. There's no question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree. Uh, I mean, if you're going to typecast him as a military guy, then let him play, you know, a, a main one. Yeah, so. exactly. So here's a um, shitty question about the Alien franchise. Here's a shitty question. Are we, yeah. did they add Newt as a kind of a, 
you know, a, con- a complimentary character to all the TV sitcoms that were adding children to their shows, you know, like a Cosby show, adding a Raven Simone, or a, 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 you know, a, a Growing Pains, adding a, uh, I don't remember the, the character's name, Chrissy maybe, uh, even Married with Children, um, adding a child, like, let's add a kid to this whole thing, or, or I mean, that, again, this is the shitty question. Um, you know, or is it something that it's like, uh, you know, we, we need to up the stakes, so let's just add an innocent, uh, the most innocent thing you can. I think it helps, like, motivate Ripley's character, you know, like we talked a little bit earlier in the podcast, just, just about, you know, obviously, in the theatrical cut, you don't see this as much, but in the director's cut, which is truer to the intention of what, what James Cameron was going for, you know, like, the loss of her daughter plays such a huge role that I think, you know, like Newt basically is her kind of her, her, the plot device to, to kind of get Ripley to, to continue to fight forward and, and take those next steps in her, in her Mm -hmm. becoming a badass, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and so, so I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if like it was originally written with, with uh, trying to add kids in mind, but like it's it's so seamless between like her her losing her daughter to to uh, why Newt is so important to the rest of the movie that that it, you know it seems likely not. Yeah, yeah, I I I think that it was you know that was a storyline at least very very early on, if not all in every draft, but. Yeah, it gives her character depth. It gives her something to fight for, and it gives you something to root for for her. You know, knowing at the end, basically, she's created a nuclear family. I mean, you can see them. Forget what they did with Alien Three. When Aliens ends, like you can actually picture the three of them sort of ending up together somehow. You know, they don't yeah. have anybody else. Right. Yeah, you can see Ripley so. and, and, and uh, Michael Bean. And uh, and all the uh, 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 Hicks and Newt like sort of being a family together, you know, yeah. surviving this. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, that I can I could see that. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, with, with their pet named Bishop. Yeah, their pet Bishop. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Bishop like runs the household. <laughs> their and, little pet uh, droid. Yeah. yeah, but he's only got half a body. <laughs> but like so all right so who does it better though well we haven't got to the end of the movie do we get to, we we should get to the end of the movie before we i have other questions <laughs> well we've talked uh, we've talked yeah, about I mean, both, we've I talked wanna... about both climaxes i will say it's kind but of like it's kind of interesting in the movie tr- during that tail end because like new uh, this is going back a little bit but i wanted to mention it like like and there's no point to me mentioning this other than like I was watching it and I was like oh that's I'd never noticed that before I find it strange but like Michael Bean when when Newt gets taken by the xenomorph and Ripley's like hell bent on trying to to get Newt back Michael Bean like won't let Ripley go do that he's like no we got to get out of here we got to get out of here then he gets hurt and they get back on the ship and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, go get her by yourself. Just take these guns. Yeah. You can do it. <laughs> it's just like such yeah. a, such a one eighty. I'm like, Oh wait, hold on. But whatever. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not here to split hairs. I just found that I was like, all right, all right, all right. Come on. 
you're in the moment and it's like intense and it's like there's no saving anything and it's like we got to get back and you got to regroup but i mean i i don't want to explain away his change but you can almost th- get the sense of like all right we no we can't do this we got to go we got to go and then it's like you get back to the ship or you get back you know you get back to a place of safety and it's like all right do what you got to do and understanding like understanding ripley more than like the immediate reaction of like we have to put ourselves in immediate danger no matter what uh kind of thing i think it i think it works i don't think it's like totally like yeah kind of crazy but it's I, not, I understand what you're saying it is not anything i noticed well, until the 50th viewing of this movie so <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, but he does say that she's got the tracker. They just need to get out of where they're at because they're just clearly being overrun by aliens. So yeah. how does he? Um, how does he? Know, I don't how think does it's. He like, know she I, has I didn't the read tracker. it as a like, don't go get her. You know. Yeah. I I that I don't remember. I mean, I mean, there must have been a shot where she, you know, they he. I think because when I want to say Ripley, that um, when Ripley gives it to Newt, they're alone, right? Yeah, but she must have just kept it. Or, you know, I don't know how he knows, but yeah. <laughs> maybe anyway. they talk. Maybe there's other deleted scenes. This, yeah, this movie's great. I don't want, let's not tear it apart. No. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing I want to mention, too, is the score by James Horner, Woo! the late, great James Horner. That so This good. was also one of the first things I fell in love with. Like, after, you know, when I viewed it in, what, 95, uh, I, I immediately went out and bought the bought the score and so great and such iconic music that you know that track that rescue track was like mu- used in so many movies and trailers especially over the years it, that's like super famous uh, music cue yeah um and just you know james horner came into the project like really late like he came in and thought he was gonna have six weeks to write the the score and you know see the you know at least the editor's cut and start to work on that and by the time he got to england they were they weren't even close to finished filming the movie so he had he would go down and to set and watch and hang out with the editor a little bit and but uh he had very very little time to write this score uh he apparently they recorded it in four days he wrote that you know that famous track at the end where they escape uh, he wrote that overnight. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, it was just like, it was crazy. And he had a big, obviously, like, he, he butted heads with uh, with James Cameron quite quite a bit here. And they're both, you know, very much perfectionists. So it was hard. It was hard for him to work under those conditions. And they kind of agreed to not work together again. Flash forward to... Uh, 1997 when they do get back together to do titanic yeah they did titanic <laughs> they did avatar after that so they yeah, t- had then, to take a little bit of time away unfortunately had to take a little bit of time apart but uh but yeah it's uh he definitely they definitely got back together yeah and i think well and they talked about it too it was like you know aliens was very early in both of their careers and by the time 97 rolled around they were much further along already well established they kind of had been through it and been more experienced so knew what they were getting into with each other and obviously it worked great and uh, it's unfortunate that we lost him and uh he's one of my favorite uh you know composers of, of all time um so the movie comes out obviously it's it's a big hit uh it, it's huge and 
does. It, I mean, let's go over. You know what? Let's go over some box office numbers. How about it, guys? Already. You know, I love that bo. <laughs> Uh, the, it's got. It's released July eighteenth, nineteen eighty six. It's got a ten million dollar opening weekend, uh, an eighty five million dollar domestic run. It opens up number one uh, that weekend over David's favorite movie, Karate Kid two. Yes, and Ruthless People. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Overall, nineteen eighty six. This ends up number seven. Uh, as far as box office goes, weirdly, between Back to School, which we covered before on, on season one, and The Golden Child, I can't believe that Back to School out uh, out box officed Aliens. People love a great comedy, did and it, uh, really? yeah, Back to School <laughs> came out like a month before Aliens, I think. So yeah, yeah it's uh, but there was a lot of sci-fi that year. You had Star Trek Four. You had. Ferris, mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You had uh, Cobra. There's a lot of there's a lot of sci-fi. Yeah, Short Circuit. Yeah, it's a big year. Ooh, the Fly. <laughs> Johnny Five. Avenging Force. Little Shop of Horrors. Avenging Force. Hoosiers, which we also <laughs> covered in the show. Yeah, going part back of to, Hackathon. Yeah, and part of our <clears throat> Hackathon. Also, Delta Force came out that year. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, 86 is the greatest year in, in history, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Jesus yeah. fuck. I don't want to cover Top Gun, though, but we will. I'm sure we will. Oh, um, uh, we're going to look at Top Gun for oh, sure. God damn it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. overall, it ends up with uh, $183 million. It ranks number seven out of the eight Alien movies. What? So, it's actually between... What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How is no, that because, even possible? You know, the, nope. The nope. No, yeah. Nope. Number of screens and yeah. Oh uh, technically, but profit wise, it's number three. Here's so okay. Yep. Go ahead. <laughs> Good. Technically, Prometheus made. Technically, Prometheus uh, and Alien grand total over the course of their run recouped more money than oh. aliens oh okay aliens would be number three. oh that's oh yeah. okay. you're talking dollars okay you're not talking quality okay. yeah because here no, is no, my no, 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 no. i'm talking i'm here... talking box office dollar wise all right fine all right are we quality dollar... wise quality wise i mean you know one and two are alien and aliens and everything else is light years behind it Correct. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready to. I'm ready to weigh in on all the alien movies. Power rankings. Who's oh. ready? Are you guys ready? Are we ranking them? I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, I don't even know. So all here, them. hold on. Once I gotta look this shit up. <laughs> I'm not gonna include the Predator. You know, Alien vs Predators. Fuck that no, shit. Those don't count. But we're gonna we're gonna no. talk we're gonna talk alien movies, right? So for me, okay, this is me. Aliens and Alien are very tight. Mm-hmm. I will probably go Aliens first. Alien right there underneath. Like, just just, just a bit. Just like, like just right there. Right? And then I'm going to go uh, Alien 3. And then I might go the sequel to Prometheus. And then... What the what I don't even know what the fuck was that that was called and then I will then Prometheus, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Alien Four like that's that's it like that those are the 
That's the power rankings because everything everything after one and two are garbage. Yeah, that's exactly. And I love and that's that's where I'm at. One and one and and two way up at top. Three is like ten. Three's pretty great. Ten spots down, and everything else is bullshit. Garbage, right? Like garbage. Three's pretty great though. David, three's two. It's probably two, one, three. Six and five, four. That's it. That's I can't it. even. I can't even with Alien Resurrection, dude. I think that movie is total ass. It's like that's that's the that's the lowest ranked. Right that's now. the that's Alien, like Alien the Resurrection. Fat, that's like Alien dude, that Resurrection. Was, that movie is sucks. Tro- the the little it's true a- trash. Fat baby alien that gets sucked out the window hole is like get out of my. I can't even <laughs> with that. It's garbage. Listen, I you know I love a uh, I, I I love a great cast. I love great goofy shit. Uh, Winona Ryder, sure. Yeah, Ron but Perlman. Not in my Alien sure. movies. Absolutely, but, but no, on. that is the Alien Four is the worst fucking thing insulting. that's ever happened to this franchise. It's insulting. <laughs> Sorry. It, it goes. It probably um, for me. It's a two, one, three, five, six, four. That's it. That's how. That's how it goes. What I thought got? you said six five four before, but I, I might have. Way. I might have. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Those last two are tough. <laughs> yeah, I David, believe it or not, I'm gonna pretty much agree with you. I have one switch. I usually just have one and two switched. Like I'm a little bit just a hair hairline uh yeah. alien fan over aliens, but yeah. some you know, I love I love them both. I mean they're both, I think, perfect. They're so different movies. But, uh, I get and, it. Yeah, and yeah, they're so different. I mean, they're they're both amazing. Um, but after that, yeah, space, space, space. I would say Alien Three, and Alien Three as its own movie. Three. And again, great. we'll talk about this when we cover it. If as its own movie, it's great. Three it looks great. great. I think Fincher did a good job. The problem is, is that it's following aliens and completely shits on everything that James Cameron did, which is its downfall. Um, it's hard. It's you know, hard to you, do you lost the later. audience in, you lose the audience in the opening scene of that movie, and you never get them back, yeah. no yeah. matter what you do. Yeah. Um, but as its own, like if you just look at it as a as its own science fiction movie, forgetting at least aliens, you could make a a transition from alien to alien three. Um, and I'd, I'd buy that, but, uh, you know, looking at it on its own, I think it's great. Uh, agree. Alien covenant is the name of the movie. I would say that's number six. I would say that's next. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, at that point you've lost everybody, but it's, you know, an attempt to get back to some kind of mixture of alien and aliens. Um, and then you got Prometheus, which, again, as its own movie, you know, they made the huge mistake of saying it's a prequel and then changing their mind and unprequeling it. <laughs> and then also, like, it's not really about the xenomorphs until, like, the very, very end. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. But, um, you know, it's a little too heady. You know, you just couldn't. There's nothing to really connect to and the characters aren't as likable and. It just doesn't work as well. Um, so Prometheus is down there. And then, yeah, Alien Resurrection, I would put at the very bottom. I, I actually really liked it when it first came out, but I think it was more me convincing myself that I, I liked it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, that was good, right? It's kind of like The Lost World. But, <laughs> um, 
Uh, yeah, and I, I like the underwater thing, but it just doesn't it doesn't fit. And I also let me just say I love Jean Pierre Jeunet and Amelie's one of my favorite movies, and he's he's admitted he should have never taken that movie. It was not the right mix of creatives on that, and it was Fox trying to force a movie, and and uh, it was a lot of um, pushing and pulling between political parties on that movie. So that. That is uh, that's at the bottom for me, and we don't talk about Alien versus Predator. It's Alien Four is what you're talking about. What's that? What yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Alien Four is a weird um, is a weird thing that doesn't it almost doesn't need to exist. Doesn't uh, at this point. It, it's a weird thing that they were trying to do, but sure, there's some great action pieces, but the whole thing is garbage. Like I I can't yeah, I can't totally. get behind it. Yeah, but I but mean, um, listen, and I will alien, I will say too. What? Go ahead, David. No, I mean Alien. Is it what's the what's the sequel to like Prometheus Covenant? Alien Covenant. Alien Covenant. Covenant. Woo! That's my least favorite of all of them. I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess it's 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 Alien Covenant and Alien Four that are the the bottom two. It's it's a it's a hard hard pill to swallow. I, I would think it, you know it, ultimately it doesn't matter because all three of those you know Prometheus Covenant and Resurrection are all not even worth deeply watching. weakening to the franchise yeah they're not yeah, even worth it's, watching it's if yeah I mean I would say watch three just because it's interesting and then especially you know I think next summer maybe next June oh, Alien? or whenever yeah I'm not we'll, uh, I'm not counting that one. we'll do Alien, Alien three Alien three is fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, once you like really get into what the heck happened behind the scenes, it's really fascinating, and what the different scripts were, and what the stories could have been, and what what might have been with that movie. And then yeah. you know to say ultimately, you know, it does as a standalone, it, it works. It's just uh, well, you know, <laughs> why did you undo the amazing movie that happened before it? Yeah. yeah. Well, we're definitely going to have to get together and talk about Alien 3 at some point just so I can hear more about this Michael Michael Bean blowout thing that happened where he yeah he was supposed yeah. to, this movie is supposed to be something different. I want to hear about it. More about I it. I didn't know about that. Yeah. And yeah. like I remember, you know, in the lead up to Alien 3, you know, I I think it's Fox or whatever, like, you know, they had a a retrospective and the making of and a whole thing. Like I remember being excited for alien three coming out, um, you know, just, you know, in terms of like tying everything together and then going to the theater and then it's like, yeah, like uh, newt is dead and uh, yeah, Hicks is dead. And I'm like, what? Well, what? Well, originally the, the, look, the teaser, they, the first teaser they put out, is not the plot of Alien 3. The first teaser they put out is <laughs> like a shot of the egg over Earth and saying this time they're, you know, they're coming to Earth. Oh shit. So they lied to us. Like like it was that's what I'm saying. It's a whole mess and it's it's a really fascinating uh, uh story about what the heck goes on with studios and creative sometimes. Yeah. But um anyway, back to aliens though. Yeah, uh, aliens. Uh, you know, you know, we talked a little bit about the director's cut versus the theatrical edition or the special edition versus the theatrical. I would strongly recommend the special edition. Um, like we like we said earlier, uh, I think that's the version to see in the strongest version of the movie. Um, 
you know, the there's so many great things about it to enjoy and, and watching it over and over again. I think it's one of the most easily rewatchable movies that are out there. I mean, the intensity of, of the action scenes and the pacing of it and the way you build up to and, you know, the action sequence and then it kind of everything all explodes and then it quiets down and they regroup and then you get these moments of these flare-ups of, you know, when the face huggers are locked in with, with Ripley and Newt and then the, you know, action scene at the end where they're all invading the compound and then her fight with the alien queen. It's all, it's paced out incredibly well. It's cut together amazing. And uh, I, I love the characters. I'm, I, you know, I buy everything that they're selling in this movie and, and uh, you know, I'm kind of all in the movie. Every time I watch it, I can really feel like I'm there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think to tag on a little bit with what you were saying about the the different versions. I think if you want to watch something that's a little bit more character driven, definitely watch the special edition. If you're ready to just get into the action and and jump right in, watch the theatrical version because it takes a little bit longer to get into the into the action uh, in the in the special edition uh, cut. But they're both great and standalone, and you could. You could watch them depending on what your mood is. So, yeah, it's like a 17-minute difference, I believe. Yeah. But listen, Aliens, one of probably like <laughs> action movies and like but also like in uh, integrating a story that like works. This is probably one of the top 80s movies that does that, right? I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's it's really Yeah, awesome. I mean, I would I would say it's top Yeah, definitely top 80s but i would also say top you know in the top group of science fiction you know action science fiction movies as well yeah of all time like ever yeah yeah no i'm with you yeah i I agree i mean and and what do you think about as far as you know yeah we mentioned that this is always brought up with best sequels of all time do you think it's the best sequel of all time or do you think you know what, what is in your top sequels of all time uh yeah uh you know spy kids 2 um i'm gonna go <laughs> it's gonna go that. ghostbusters 2 but yeah mission impossible 4 <laughs> 5 6 and it's not you know it's not fair to talk about sequels that work but there's so many sequels that work and i think this this gets to be in that top uh that top range you know i'm not yeah. saying it, it is godfather 2 but like godfather 2 like surpasses what the original right like and this one is a, a movie that surpasses the original. Terminator Two surpasses the original. Also, a James Cameron film. Yeah, um, you it's know, interesting how is, he has two movies kind of in the same argument. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, there's so many things that like you have to do something different, but also elevate the original, like uh, the original source material. Um, and I think, without a doubt, uh, Aliens does that. And uh, you know that's a good credit. That's a great credit for Cameron, be, taking a horror movie where now you can root for, you know, your heroine as like uh, the person who knows better over everybody. So now it becomes an action film because she, you, you're you're on board with her. You don't have to be convinced by her. All the other characters have to be convinced by her, but you don't have to be convinced by Ripley. You understand what she's talking about. And it, it takes it to a new level where even still, like, even though she knows what she's talking about, like, everything is still so fucked up and 
really hard to deal with. Uh, you know, it turns into something new, and uh, that's hard to do. You 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 just can't just do that unless you know what you're talking about. So yeah, yeah. this mm-hmm. is up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those are the pretty standard top three sequels. You know, Godfather two and and this and Terminator two, and I think it's that way for a reason that they. Yeah, they, they, there's something already established and you have, you know, it ultimately depends on the director and, and his freedom to to tell the story he wants to tell. And, and, and Cameron twice and Coppola were able to, you know, get through that studio system and tell the real story that they had in mind. And clearly it worked and they could spring to the next level with them. I, you know, for me, like I'm, I'm a big Alien fan, so I, you know... I, I argue whether or not Aliens... Aliens takes it in a different direction. I don't know if it totally surpasses Alien, but it does take it in a new direction and a different direction. I wouldn't put Scream 2 up there, though. Don't you <laughs> hey, fucking you Scream watch your mouth, John Diner. <laughs> Brent, are you a, a Scream um, 2 fan? Uh, on a bash screen scene? I, I enjoy the Scream movies. I mean, I the first Scream I movie Scream. is classic. I, you know, we don't need to get into this right now. Well, there's going to be plenty Wait of other times no, for you, us to talk you are about the director this. Of the, you're the director of the Voorhees Institute. Screen obviously, <laughs> is a wonderful fucking film that does uh, achieves many things. Scream 2 serves that purpose, I think, right? Like, yeah, I'm in. Like, I I, I like Scream 2. Jerry O'Connell? Sure. Yeah. Yes, I'm in. Like, give me, give me on board. I'm there. Uh, so <laughs> you're, so you're, you're a big Jerry O'Connell I'm fan. I'm a Jerry Got O'Connell it. fan. Uh, Who doesn't love Jerry O'Connell? As always. I mean. Jerry O'Connell, my, my <laughs> secret identity. Um, he was he he did a cameo in that uh, uh, what the hell was that film? Uh, Can't hardly wait. Shows up at the end there. He knows That's what right, he's doing. He does. He's sliders four seasons. He gets it. So, Jerry O'Connell gets <laughs> it. Stand by me. So listen. Stand by me. O'Connell gets it. Yeah. O'Connell twenty twenty. O'Connell's number one. He's married to Rebecca Romaine. You yeah. don't get to judge. You don't get to judge Jerry O'Connell. Yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> All right. So, aliens. What? How many Jack Burtons? What do you think, Brent? Oof. What do you think? This is the scale of thirteen, correct? Thirteen. This Jack is Burton. this is our scale of zero to thirteen. Thirteen being you. It's a perfect film. You love it. Being a perfect film, I love it. Uh, I'm going to go, I mean, I feel like every time we do this, they're always high because I love all these movies that we talk about. So it's, you know, I'm going to go like maybe it's an 11.7. Jesus Christ. Wow. That's high. I like I like all to right. use decimal points in my <laughs> room. Right. David, what about you? I'm going to go, like, yeah, like a <laughs> 10 and a half and 11. Yeah, like, like Aliens is basically, it's basically up there. Yeah. No, no, like. Yeah, yeah, 11. I'm going to say 12.5. 12. Wow, 12.5. Almost the perfect movie. 12.5. Wow, Almost. Amazing. You know, and it's funny because it's the only thing that takes me out is unfortunately those rear projection shots. It, it does like just bump me a little bit, but that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else is perfect. I get it. So we're going to average it 
We're going to average aliens at like an 11, 11.5-ish, somewhere at, in that zone, yeah, right? Yeah, at the very least. I mean, it's 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 up there. I mean, yeah. Aliens is one of the greatest movies uh, of all time, especially the 80s. And mostly, I mean, it kind of beats almost all the 90s movies. And some of them 2000s movies do we do we have a spreadsheet that shows where all where all these movies have been been ranked i'd have to look that up we can we can have an an intern work on that we should we should yeah put it on the website Uh, yeah but it's all time all time classic definitely worth rewatching if you haven't seen it in a while for sure uh, definitely check it out. It's fun to watch. It's a great, uh, it's a great late, and it's another great late night movie. You know, it's uh, it's just long. So it's a, uh, it's a great daytime on. movie. Seriously, just watch it at <laughs> one in the afternoon. I don't know. I don't think it's any better later. Okay, before we wrap things up on Aliens, just a, a couple of points I wanted to come back to. Um, the merchandising of this movie. It's interesting because. There was some some merchandising done, but not like not as much as you'd think, not as much as like Star Wars would get or, you know, the the way it's done now with Marvel movies and, and, you know, big action blockbusters like that. Um, You saw I remember there an arcade game coming out that was just weird. Do you guys remember the arcade game at all? I don't No, not at all. No, is it like a shooter game, like the Terminator 2 game or stuff like that with you have a gun? and, and, and it, was, it was a shooter game, but it wasn't like T2. It was, it was like you're going through – It was like, from what I remember, it was like you're, you're on like a cart and you're going through like the alien – the caves of like the alien lair and you're like blasting xenomorphs. It's like nothing like the movie at all. <laughs> I don't know. I know. I've never seen it. Or, I don't remember it. But there was no, like, there was no Nintendo game or anything like that. Really? That's weird. Yeah. I'm surprised. Which is weird. Like, you'd, you'd think there would be. But I don't really remember figures. any merchandising for this movie at all. Like, I don't remember any toys or anything. Like, it, what, all, what all were they there, releasing? There were toys, um, but they released, like, four, you know, figures, and it was Ripley who they all had different wardrobe or a totally different look than their movie, except Hicks. Like, Ripley, Hicks looked the same. And then it was Drake, who had, who looked completely different. And one other one, I can't remember who the fourth one was, but there was a very small toy line that was released. Did they but have... They, the, biggest thing they, the biggest thing they did was a, a series of books. Mm. So they made book sequels that were basically what one of the the script for Alien 3 that was going to feature Hicks as the main character it was it was like a book version of that and it ended up being a trilogy about Hicks and Newt and Ripley and how they survived and then it was like it was basically like like Aliens happens again but on a ship and then they get to Earth and it's like a whole thing Did I wonder you read if you can those? still find those Oh, I own those books. Oh, what? <laughs> I'm looking at them right now. And oh did you have gosh, them? You have so much cool stuff. Did you <laughs> Did you have them back then, or did you get them like later in life? I got them way later. Like I got them in the '90s when I when I really got into the movie. Got it. Um, but by then, Alien Three had come out, so they went back and changed the books. So it's no longer Hicks. Like the guy's name is Hiltz, and he's. 
he's like a marine who has also encountered these xenomorphs and it's the same backstory they just changed the names really that's wild yeah <laughs> i might need they're to, good I'm, i mean they're fun I might books need, i might need to borrow the books from you copy yeah <laughs> check that out but um yeah, so the merchandising was interesting. They they came out, was it on PlayStation 2, I think, maybe 10 years ago? They tried a Colonial Marines game that looked awesome, but supposedly there were... Do you remember, David, I, you're more of the gamer. Do you, do you remember this? If it was called Colonial Marines, that sounds familiar. I don't know, but I don't really know. I don't, I don't remember playing it or anything like that or... Well, I, I don't know if it actually came out. Like, I know there was a lot of problems, and either it came out and the game the gameplay was terrible, mm-hmm. or it never actually got released. But there were like I feel like previews a, of it, and I feel like I remember a game where you were like walking through a corridor, and you had to basically blast face huggers as they shot at you through this corridor in the dark. I feel like that's a real story. Like that actually happened. So I think there was a game. I just, yeah. Maybe it did come out and just didn't yeah, survive. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah Col- Colonial Marines was a game. And I think I don't, it wasn't, yeah, it was, was not it Xbox or something. It, uh, Xbox and PlayStation three and PC. Right. Right. And stuff. Um, 2013 for that. Huh? Um, yeah, yeah, I guess it wasn't well Almost received. Almost 10 years. So. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. You'd think, I mean, Alien Isolation, which we talked about on the Alien uh, episode, is an amazing, amazing game. And it does incorporate some stuff from Aliens into it. But uh, you'd think that they could, you know, if they made that game so great, they could do an Aliens follow-up. Mm. Who knows? What do I know? I'm not a game designer. True. <laughs> um. The uh, we we talked briefly about the the score by James Horner. I just I just want to say again, I love this score so much, and it's it's a real it's a beautiful score. I, I can you know throw when I'm in a score mood, I can throw it on at any time. I'm a big James Horner fan. Yeah, you know, uh, I, yeah, I, uh, I love that. So uh, I don't know, probably about ten years ago. This is kind of a funny story. We uh, at DreamWorks Animation, where I was working at the time. There was kind of this surprise concert they had where they had, uh, it was like James Horner and uh, Harry Gregson Williams and I think Whoa. I think John Powell was there and uh, I think maybe even John Williams, but I can't, I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. But they were, they basically set up a stage on the roof of of the parking lot at DreamWorks Animation and these guys were just up there just like jamming. They just like had a bunch of instruments and they set up their microphones and they just like jammed for like two hours for the employees what? there at work. It was, it was pretty incredible. Like it was, it was, it was pretty rad for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> that cool. That is amazing. <laughs> wow. Here you go guys. Just this amazing concert for you. Just uh, at the end of the day, in the middle of the work. Yeah. Completely. It was completely <laughs> random. And uh, you know, like they just, you know, that day they had set up some posters and they were like, hey, at the end of the day, go check it out. This is going to be happening. And sure enough, yeah, everybody was just out there like <laughs> watching these guys who are famous for doing all these scores like throughout the course of, uh, you know, the, the you know, 80s and 90s at least and still to this day. And uh, yeah, they were just out there playing playing music. Jam session. Wow. Okay. Super, that is amazing. Super composer jam session. 
I'm jealous. That's cool. <laughs> That's yeah, super that cool. cool. That's amazing. Oh, uh, we uh, we talked briefly uh, way earlier in the episode about there was a there was a lot of discussion and ideas being pitched and storyboards that were made by Neil Blomkamp, who did uh, District Nine. You guys remember that movie? Oh yeah. Uh, so he had done these storyboards for for what he wanted to do as an Aliens sequel, basically ignoring Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, anything else. Just Alien, Aliens, and picking up you know, somewhere after we leave them at the end of Aliens. Uh, and he had done these, and you can find them online. They're beautiful storyboards, and it picks up, you know, Hicks has his look of, you know, scarred face and, you know, what Michael Bean looked like i think this was around two, 2016 or 17 so you know what he looked like then what sigourney weaver looked like um don't know like what the plot was going to be but he was apparently fox was uh either going to do his version or um the next in that you know whatever the prometheus trilogy with with ridley scott was going to be and then I think Alien Covenant came out and wasn't as big as they wanted it. So they, again, shelved everything. Oh. I, but that could have been amazing. I remember <laughs> the talk of him taking on Alien, like, you know, whatever they were doing. I didn't realize the storyboards existed. And at the same time. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. But they I, were out there. But I remember there was a lot of talk of that. It was probably going to happen. And then, yeah, at a certain point, it was like, no, never mind. I <laughs> can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was all it was between him and Ridley, and I think Fox is again in their you know they're down on Aliens, the yeah. Alien franchise, and then they were bought by Disney, so who knows what's going to happen right. now? Yeah, man, that's I mean, disappointing that that didn't happen though. I feel like Covenant. I feel like Covenant was uh, you know like a disappointment across the board though. So why? why yeah, not? I had I had some high yeah. hopes for that one. And, uh, yeah, there was some moments I liked in it, but overall, it's just the whole thing, Prometheus and Covenant, just. Uh, I just, I, I like the the way it was, you know. <laughs> yeah, Prometheus was tough. Um, I think I said that earlier. Yeah, Prometheus was tough. Yeah, Covenant. It's it's a tough one. Yeah, I think you were right though when you said at a certain point, like uh, Covenant kind of explains Prometheus better, and it kind of works as its own thing, right? That was the order, right? Prometheus, yeah, and then Covenant. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Prometheus and then Covenant. Covenant kind of recaps it and summarizes it and almost redoes a portion of it and then makes it more there's more action there's more horror it's more of an alien movie it's just again nothing really stands out about covenant right yeah Yeah, right yeah yeah. but um do you guys have a uh do you guys have a favorite scene or moment from aliens anything what's the first thing you think of game over man Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> nice, yeah. Uh, the sequence where they're trapped with the facehugger, uh, Newt and and uh, Ripley are trapped with the facehuggers. Uh, th- yeah, that's uh, that's a standout for like big tension and action and and stuff. I, I really like that scene. Yeah, it's uh, God, that might be the most like horror movie portion of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah. But no, the whole thing works. Yeah. It's 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 thrilling. I like thrills. Yeah, <laughs> you, you like thrills. David likes thrills. Thrills. Yeah. Um, Not necessarily chills. Yeah. I, 
I uh, I think my favorite is probably that first attack on the Marines when they go into the uh, you know the sub basement and get ambushed and and like the the tension and the way that whole scene is constructed and built and cutting back and forth with Ripley and and Gorman on the on the APC and and the way they're communicating and then the attack itself like it just like you did not expect the first time you watch it you don't expect half the marines to get wiped out in one scene <laughs> yeah yeah but i love that love that moment yeah um and then you know one other thing i want to say is uh, bill paxton bill paxton you know we talked about hudson and bill but god he's just so great you know brent you mentioned game over he's got so many great lines in this movie that really stand out it's just you know when the movie's over he's one of the people i'm thinking about most he just really really stood out in this one yeah i agree completely i think uh i think paxton's fantastic in this movie i mean the whole cast is fantastic but but paxton really kind of shines uh quite a bit and you know i mean i think i think we talked about it a little bit but this was kind of what was a springboard for for his career but he uh he yeah. was he was really really great in this i mentioned like how i loved his character's arc and everything like that and like it's just it's it, it's all paxton that works. He he uses all all the tools in his toolbox, uh, and uh, he's, he's yeah. I agree. He's just fantastic in this. Yeah, Hudson's great character, and this really yeah. You're right. It, it it springboarded Bill, you know, to getting that that next level and getting out of those small parts and getting much meatier, better characters. Yeah. So I think we should you know let's start Paxton Fest. Let's um let's hang out with Bill for a while and and look at some of his movies. He's done so many great. Great roles and great movies and interesting movies that uh, I think there's a lot to look at. Okay. Absolutely. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll, let's do it. We're, we're going from Hackathon to Paxton Fest. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Cool. Well, I think that uh, I think that's going to wrap up Aliens, guys. Uh, anything else you want to add? Or uh, maybe we should should wrap things up. Well, sounds good. Get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah, it's late. Check us out on our social media, Reconsideration Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Always, You can always check us out at uh, www.reconsideration.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget, if uh, you know, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating if they still – I don't even know if they still do that. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. Check us out there. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all changed. Um but yeah, and then uh, thank you to Curtis Moore for the poster, as usual, and E.K. Wimmer for the theme song. And always, uh, as always, don't forget to check out his podcast, Laser Graves, for some interesting and amazing content that he always covers. Uh, we're going to be back uh, next time, and uh, we'll surprise you with what our next choice is in Paxton Fest. So we'll see you. We'll see you next time on Reconcinimation. Game over, man. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs>